Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. My good buddy Doug Moore from the band Pieron came over tonight, and we had a really cool conversation. The only thing that marred that great conversation was uh, some technical problems. So Doug might sound a tad bit distant, but uh, you know, don't let that put you off. It was a really cool time. This podcast is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. Also, um, if you're so inclined and you want to get into some really cool products, if you go to everythingwhenblackmedia.com, you can check out the affiliate sponsors. I have links up there um, through the different portals. Got Datsusara, Naturebox, and of course, Onnit. If you listen to this on iTunes, please uh, leave a review. Uh, star rating or anything like that you can check the podcast out on facebook uh, give us a like and also if you want to follow me on twitter at mike hill hq This is the 85th episode, you know that? 85th? Yeah. Damn, dude. <laughs> fucking cranking out. How many years have you been doing this for? Like four years, I think. Four years. Yeah, something okay. like that. Four or five, maybe. So like 20 a year. Yeah. It's pretty good pay. It's pretty good pay. I'm actually stepping it up, and uh, it seems like more people are listening, too, which is cool. Oh, sick. Yeah, it's like random people. Yeah. You I know. listen to, I would say probably, if you've done 80... I listen to probably about half of them. I yeah, and there's a lot out there. Yeah, there's a ton, you know. You know? Some of them are more interesting than others, right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, like, when you have that kind of block of time, like, it, it's going to vary, you know? Yeah. Like, because uh, you also just seem like you keep it pretty, like, nebulous, you know? It's not, like, a real structured interview. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I, who the fuck wants to listen to, like, a, you know, so we're your influences. Right, yeah, I know? mean, well, that's a thing. It's like, dude, I did... I mean, you know I've done a lot of interviews. Like, yeah. I've conducted a lot you've, of You've interviewed people and, and you've been interviewed. I've been interviewed a lot of times, and honestly, I just never want to hear the answer to that question ever again. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. don't want to fucking hear it. Man. And they probably, you know, when, when you're doing, like, um, promotion for a record, you're doing, like, blocks. You're doing, like, several a day, and it's yeah. the same fucking... I mean, I, I understand everyone's got... They think that they're doing something different, but... Sure. And, and the thing is that, like, you know, um, you can tell who's done their homework. Because uh, even people who have no imagination, yeah. who've done their homework, will ask at least a better version of that question. Yeah, you know? no, like, totally. Here, like, instead of just being like, oh, like... Who are your influences? It'll be like, oh, so I know that you like you like this band, like you know, and I maybe I heard like some, uh, you know, increased uh, increased presence of that band's influence on this record, like it was that conscious or whatever. Like you, you can spin that question to something that's even yeah. like marginally more interesting than just like you know, what bands do you like? Yeah, which is like the version of that that you get. Still nine times out of fucking ten, you know. I'm sure even for you. Oh yeah, like, totally, dude. Yeah. Um, even because, like, you know, it seems like, you know, as your, uh, as your place in the world, your stature increases, right, you know, so to speak, uh, people put more time in preparing for the interview. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. right, like, uh, but yeah, but even, like, you know, I've seen interviews with, like, high-end dudes, you know, with, with you know, Lemmy, 
where the guy just like seems like he just heard of Motorhead. Yeah, it's possible though because there's there's some kids out there who don't know anything about that shit. Motorhead's not even a band that's in their lexicon of bands that they listen to. Sure, at all. right. I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. So first of all, you have like the generational split, right? Yeah. With, like you know, there's like young kids coming out who are like, yeah, I want to be in the music press, you know, who just like yeah, they kind of bumble into it, and you know, they don't really have the contacts for a lot of the bands they're talking to, and so they end up kind of. You know, incidentally disrespecting people, I guess, by not knowing where they came from, or at least like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like as someone who has done a lot of interviews, yeah. you know, as a interviewer, um, you owe it to your subjects to like know something about them, oh, and, absolutely, like, be able to like, like have a conversation with them on their terms, right? That's part of the job, um, and so part of the generational, I think, part of it also is the the fact that um, you know the media has expanded to be kind of a nebulous almost crowdsourced kind of thing it kind of is right yeah. you know kind of like a lot of it's like anyone can basically do it. yeah right yeah I mean, like if you have if you have this right like yeah. if you have the if you have like the mics and the willingness to transcribe or if you have the mics and piece of audio software you know um, then there's really nothing to stop you from going and you know seeking out interviews with musicians and you know acting the fool and not knowing yeah. who they are, right? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so... Um, Speaking of music press, yeah. the last time I had you on here, you um, had just become the editor of uh, Invisible Oranges. That's right, yeah. But now that's not that's not the case anymore. That's true. Um, so if you would like to know what happened sure. with that. Um, yeah. So basically, um, a couple of things happened. The... Um, the first factor in that whole process. So, I, so, for the record, I lasted for about ten or eleven months as the editor, um, uh, and so during that period, um, almost immediately after I became the Invisible Orange's editor, um, my band Puron uh, signed to Relapse Records, um, and we went from being a band that almost exclusively played local and area shows to a like a touring band not a full-time touring band yeah but we we've toured like four or five times in the past you know in the period since then and that's been a year and a half now yeah um, so we became like a touring band um we started devoting a lot more time to um that side of things um we also during that period went into the studio again mm-hmm. uh, we were writing when when I took over that job uh, and we recorded a couple months after that um, so as you can imagine and also I had like a I had like a regular job too outside of all of this music whole damn thing, right yeah. it's a pretty so, full schedule right exactly so basically yeah. like the first thing that happened was really I just managed to overbook myself like horribly right Cause, like, yeah. so we got my regular job, which takes like 30 to 35 hours a week, right, at that time, you know, it's more now, but like, it was like it was almost a full-time job. Um, I was running Visible Oranges, which, you know, was probably a 15 to 30 hour week commitment as well. Right. Um, I was doing the metal news posting, or most of it, for Brooklyn Vegan. Oh, which, okay, I didn't realize which, that. Which owned Visible Oranges, yeah. right? Uh, they, they did and still do. Um, so that was... Uh, you know, like also a time consuming thing. You're writing three posts a day for that, you know, during the week. Sure. So, so that's another, you know, 10 hours plus a week to do that kind of thing. Um, and then I was, you know, you know, busily planning for tours and, you know, planning for recording and rehearsing. Uh, yeah, and, exactly. Practicing yeah. two to three times a week. And, yeah. You know, um, just generally trying to keep, you know, the band uh, afloat and functioning in collaboration with the other guys in the band. Uh, 
So uh, basically, I was swamped, right? I was working 70 hour weeks on a regular basis. Uh, and also, you know, I've got other things in my life too. You know, I've got a girlfriend, I yeah. exercise almost every day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I try to like cook. That's another thing I do for fun. You yeah, know, me like, too. So, right. Like so, like, between all this stuff, uh, you know, I was just hammered, right? You know, yeah. I was like, you know, I basically woke up and I worked straight through until I passed out. And that was every day. Um, so that was exhausting. Um, and on top of that, I had, you know, it's been even longer now, God. But at the time, you know, I'd been, you know, eight years into a music writing career. And all of a sudden, it went from like this thing that I always strung along, uh, you know, sort of in the background with another job in the foreground to like this thing that was, you know, occupying a great deal of my attention on a daily basis. And, um, and I just kind of burned out. Um, and so I... Uh, after about, um, so after the 10 or 11 months that I ran the site, I, uh, ended up stepping down, um, uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, honestly, the main one is because I felt that I couldn't, um, commit as much time to the site as I thought it deserved in order to be as good as it could be. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to do it wrong. So I figured it was better not to do it at all than to do it wrong. So, um, so that was pretty much the the reasoning, um, uh, and also I was just like kind of overdue to dial it back on the music writing thing for for it had been a couple of years at that point where I was kind of like oh, I don't know if I want to you know uh, commit as much to this as I was at the time. Uh, and so one of the things that's always struck me as uh, maybe being difficult uh, with writing about music and reviewing stuff, and also being in a band yourself isn't, isn't that difficult? Absolutely. You think? Actually, that's another factor that was coming yeah. up. Yeah. Um, I, so generally speaking, I would say that in the world of, uh, music writing about metals specifically, mm-hmm. um, metal is a small world. I mean, yeah. there's only, I mean, there's a lot of people who are interested in listening to it, but as far as the number of people, I mean, you know this, the number of people who are involved, like you see the same names. Yeah, over basically. Over. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they are, you know, the same few people are just inescapable, right? You know, like, and it's, you know, not just, you know, on the touring circuit, you know, where you see the same musicians over and over again, but, you know, in the sort of the um, industry side of things. You yeah, know, in the and management, yeah. And labels. Exactly, and, you yeah, know. managers, you know, record labels, yeah. like press people, mm-hmm. like, press people, people yep. like, and a lot of these people are it's all the same guy, you know, yeah. all these different things. And um, so when you're trying to do critical writing about music, right, like, you know, music criticism, right, um, for that kind of thing, um, I personally believe that there is a certain standard of um, objectivity and distance that is required to um, to really truly speak your mind about a band. You know, like you can't write um, even a short little thing that's meant to be critical about a band where you're if you're like good friends with them. Or oh yeah, God it's them, impossible. They, you know, fucking paid you money yeah. to help you help you help them promote the record or whatever. Like, right? So, um, so conflicts of interest in this tiny world creep in very very quickly. Right? Absolutely. Um, uh, you're this is going to happen if you play more than one role. There's going to be conflicts of interest. Um, and it seems to me um, that these conflicts of interest, these kinds of um, wire crossing. Uh, uh, situations are um, tolerated a little bit more than they should be uh, in the metal world. People are willing to um, 
do what I consider to be like sort of ethics violations, right? Like, you know, there you see people writing record reviews of bands that, that have employed them in the past as, you know, PR agents, right? Yeah. Like, and that is, that's, it seems to me to be clear cut, like unacceptable, right? You I know, agree right? with that, yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't want a, um, to see a journalist writing for the New York Times covering a pharmaceutical company that has paid him to write advertising copy, yeah. for example. Yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. Right. It's and conflict of interest. Yeah, right. And, like, and that's like, obviously, the stakes were a little higher than like, oh, I wrote a review of a metal band. It's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. it's not as serious, but, you know, like the same principle applies, in my opinion. Um, and so um, I, I have found, because I'm still, I'm still a music writer, right? I'm still like on a, on a much smaller scale. Um, I I write a monthly column in collaboration with a couple other people for Stereo Gum, the, okay. like, mostly an indie blog, but yeah. like covers some metal too. And like, mm-hmm. So I do a lot of the metal coverage for them. But at this point, you know, like the more active I am as a musician, um, you know, the more other bands I've formed connections with, you know, we play shows together or we do a tour together or just whatever, you know, like these things come up. And so there's a this growing roster of bands that I just don't feel comfortable writing about in public anymore. Yeah, you can't you can't write crit- criticism of people that you've right. been on tour yeah, with. Like, and, yeah, like yeah. I can't write about tombs anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can like... If it's just like a news post where it's like tombs are doing this, right? I would feel comfortable doing that because that's not really, you know, like that's that there's no critical distance really implied in that the same way there is for a record review. Yeah, right? it's just um, a news factual. Sure, right? Yeah, like you can do just a facts man thing like that, yeah. or like you know, I feel like interviewing one of you guys would be fine uh, because, uh, and I think a lot of cases, like the best interviews are conducted where one of the two, like the where the, the you know, the subject and the object in the interview, like the interviewer and the interviewee, um, have a personal connection, right? Because, like, yeah. you know, creates yeah, totally. common grounds for conversation, right? That's part of the reason I'm here, as I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but as far as, like, writing something about, like, is the record good, you know? Yeah. You can't do that. Anymore, no. You know? No, there's too many, too many insights that you have. And, you know, especially if you're really close with the band. Like, like for me, Black Anvil will be a sure, perfect right. band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like... like I, you know, I, I, I've heard those songs and they were demos and, you know, like yeah. they played them live on tour and everything. And, and yeah. the thing is that it's so tempting in that situation yeah. to want to, to, like, to want to speak about that band in an authoritative way because you have insights into them like you said that no one yep. has right like you watch those songs grow yeah. from something that like maybe that like you know you were at a practice and it showed you or like they played an early version live when you guys were on tour together yeah um, or something like that and then you heard the demo version and then like you talked to them during the mixing process so you probably know all kinds of stuff that no music critic would ever know right and so you have like a privileged look at those songs um, however like that all of those same factors um, also uh, bias you towards a favorable view of yeah. the songs, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, you've got, like, you know, after a while, it's kind of like with writing your own music. You know, you lose all the critical distance from it. Yeah, you, you can't comment on your own music as well. Right, you know? exactly. There's yeah. no objectivity yeah, to all it. You, all you think about is the process, right? You just think, yeah. like, oh, I remember when we were trying to track that part, and it sucked, it didn't come out quite as well as I wanted it to, and, like, and there's other thing about this that frustrated me, so that song sucks. And, like, that might not be most people who probably hear the song would never hear any of that stuff, right? Right, right. They just hear, like, cool riff, you know? Like, yeah. good song, you know? Like, so, so the same way, you know, like, I feel like that increasingly as time goes on, it makes it, there's more and more of these relationships that I need to um, basically, like, keep in mind whenever it comes time for me to choose what I'm writing about. And So what's the name of the column that you do? Uh, it's called The Black Market. Um, okay. It is a monthly column, uh, 
Uh, it's been on site since 2012, I think it started. Okay. Contributing to it all along. Um, I, a couple months ago, went from just a contributor to the guy who's, like, curating the column. I, like, run the column. Oh, cool. Uh, the format is like this. Basically, there is a, there's, like, an intro essay that's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 to 1,500 words about whatever's on my mind that week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it, is it, does it have to specifically be music related or can it be? It's totally, the column is about metal. Um, if I can tie it to metal, it's pretty much uh, open season. I can do whatever I want. Um, so, for instance, this past month um, for August, the column was about um, I came across, I don't, I don't remember exactly how, I came across this YouTube channel that had like hundreds of uh, 8-bit, like, video game-style covers of classic extreme metal songs. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, That's and, interesting. Like, and other metal songs, too, yeah. right? So, like, so I have entire Iron Maiden albums in, like, 8-bit, like, Nintendo music. But, and that kind of thing has existed for a while. The thing that makes us crazy is that, like, there's also really obscure, like, underground metal things. So, mm-hmm. um, for instance, this guy had a Demolition Hammer cover. Oh, no way. Yeah, Demolition that's, Hammer. Yeah, it's a pretty obscure band. Yeah, a band that, like, yeah. I guess they were kind of popular 25 years ago. Yeah, maybe today they're obscure. Yeah, right. Yeah. No one's ever fucking heard of Demolition yeah. Hammer now, right? Like, Very few. Yeah, Demolition Hammer Violator was another one that he had. Like, uh, uh, my favorite one was, this is much less obscure, but they had a... Um, uh, an 8-bit cover of Piercing Within, Suffocation Song. Oh, wow, which, that's like, pretty badass. Yeah, which, as you know, is, yeah. like, this extremely, crazily complicated technical song. Yeah. With, like, the guitars are, like, doing counterpoint uh-huh. and shit, you know? Uh-huh. Like, I, you know, I've been playing guitar for almost 15 years. I can't play that kind of shit, you know? Like, um, and yet someone transcribed all of this thing and then put it into MIDI and then put it into, like, 8-bit, like, you know, sort of... Uh, video game noises, which, like, to me is just um, a reflection of how obsessively dedicated people get to, you know, underground metal. They just, like, fall in these crazy wormholes where they lose sight of <laughs> what, like, anyone else would ever want to hear or whatever, you know, and just do their own little weird thing. Um, anyway, so that's, like, one example of, like, a thing that I wrote about recently for the column. So it's, that's how, that's the intro, and then there, every month we pick 15 new songs. Um, that uh, we think are just like our favorite things that have come out that month. Oh, that's cool. So, so basically, like that's like the meat of the column. Yeah. It's like it's just a bunch of recommendations for like here's some new metal to check out. It's obviously a lot going on at any given time. So, um, and most people who read Stereogum, Stereogum's not a metal blog. You know, it's uh, uh, mostly focused on like I guess it was an indie rock blog first, and then they expanded into pop music, and then they gradually started covering metal. Um, and yeah, I remember like a few years ago, like when Doom was really. I remember, remember, remember like when Doom was like huge. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. when like indie rock people started listening to metal. I think. I think that Doom, like Sun. Doom. I think so, yeah. man. Or and black, then black oh, metal. Oh, yeah, like Doom the genre. Okay. Yeah. Oh. No, no, not not the band yeah, Doom. Like, well, there was a period a while ago. I was like, oh man, everyone loves Doom again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were they were active for a while. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, we actually played with them in. Uh, in Europe. Oh, how was it? I didn't even see him. It was at a festival. Oh, it was okay. a Temples Festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they, they played that and Neurosis and, uh, yeah. you know. I just always wonder with, I feel like punk bands have a harder time aging, you know? Like, well, because punk is like kind of like a young man's game. Uh, I completely You know what I mean? It's like, like if you're, you know, all these bands are doing these reunions 
and the music hasn't really progressed. Like it's, it has to fit within a format. You know what I mean? It has to be like structured almost like a pop song, like verse, chorus, verse, right. chorus, bridge, sure. verse, chorus, yeah. you know, and it has to, it deals with, um, what I, what I consider in my opinion to be relatively immature subject matter. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. that's not to say that. Like, I mean, someone. You know, I mean, I still listen to Black Flag. You know, yeah. but they're an exceptional band. They're a band. They're like a, they're like Sabbath. They're oh, Slayer, yeah. really. And you they, know, they, they like kind of grew up after a while. Yeah, and their their music changed, you know, like right? The jazz stuff. And, and when they changed, they got alienated by right. the hardcore punk fans. Right, exactly. Everyone hated them for yeah. a while. You know, like, so that that in and of itself sort of defines the relative immaturity of punk rock music. So, I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't really have any relevance, you know, to a dude who's like 50 years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're still going out there. It's, it's so blatantly for, for some sort of cashing in activity. And that's why I don't really support yeah, any of that I mean, stuff. I, I feel like a lot of cases, like the, the songs that like you, like the re- songs and records that you know these bands for yeah. are so explicitly tied to being a, angry teenager or early 20-something, right? Yeah. That watching a... I mean, there's lots of, you know, lots of bands that have, like, continued to be able to rock into their 50s and 60s, right? You mm-hmm. know, you go see Iron Maiden, they still are yeah, like, rushing. Yeah, Swans, right? like, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, another, that's an even better example because they can, you know... And Jaros continue to evolve, you know, like, he's changed what he's doing. Like, yeah. He's, like, as relevant now as he's ever been in his life, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, like, the example that I will always think of is in 2010, I saw Circle Jerks, so to speak, yeah. on tour, and watching Keith Morris, I mean, even with Off, I feel the same yeah. way, like, watching Keith Morris do this, like, angry teenager, like, yelling about, you know, like, group sex thing, it's yeah. just like... It just feels horrible. I made me feel bad for liking the original version of that, you know? Wow. Like, um, it just... It, it, was such a it was so simple feeling you know that like uh, it, it almost in a way d- it partially devalued the like the classic recordings of it to me um, uh, and so ever since that that specific experience but lots of other you know similar ones I've felt very skeptical about like old punk band reunions yeah I don't I don't back it really I don't back it at all I don't, I'm not really into re- any reunions yeah, like honestly I Maybe this is something that I'm imagining, but I feel like bands used to break up. Yeah, yeah. And they now used they to. Don't. I, I I remember when CBs closed. That was the beginning of all of the New York hardcore bands reforming. Yeah, like they all. I mean, in that case, when CBs closed, you know, like Leeway had a reunion, and they, you know, whatever. All these bands started just for that one event, but then like. They got together. It's like, oh, let's keep going. And I'm like, you guys should have just like yeah. did your did your thing, had that moment, and then like let it become part of history again, and then move move on, you know. And and um, unless you're gonna, I mean, if you're a band, like say Godflesh, you know, I just saw Godflesh play. They took a long break, you know what I right. mean? Yeah, yeah. But they put out an EP and a new record, and they're playing that material live, and. It is pretty much Justin Broderick's trip, you know what I mean? Right. And he's been active with, with Yesu this whole time. So unless there's something new, and if the new material um, speaks to me, then I'm, I'm into it. You know, Swans. Swans right. took a long break. You know, sure. he, you know, 
he's been doing, you know, Body Lovers, Angels of Light, solo records, all this stuff, all this time. Skin for a while. Yeah, ago. dude, all that stuff. And then finally, okay, I'm going to call this The Swans now. But it's different. It's like it's like an amalgamation of all that time spent doing all those other stuff. And then suddenly it's like flavored by what the, the con- conception of the swans is. It's like the concept of the swans filtering everything that he's done prior to that. And then it's something completely different now. Yeah. You know? And I feel like that, like he, like that situation is like one of the best possible cases yeah. for a reunion. Right. Um, I feel like the Godflesh example is also pretty good because the new material is, you know, of some quality. Right? Yeah, it's good. I enjoy it. It's not just like bullshit, you know, cause like, you know, it's, I feel like if you're going to reform your old hardcore band, um, and then you probably should try to record a new record. Yeah. Um, but that can go awry if the record's fucking dog shit because no one's been doing anything. For yeah. For 20 years. Right? Yeah, you can't just rekindle something that's like, yeah, like the, the person you were 25 years ago. I mean, if you've been running a restaurant for the 20 years in the yeah. interim, you know, like you're not going to be able to pick up the guitar and shred the same way that you did no. when you were a teenager or a 24 year old or whatever, you know, like, um, uh, and, and even independent of all of that, you know, I feel like there is something that's really to be said for music being of its time yeah you know like I I really like the idea that um, any like really you know innovative vibrant band is the product of its circumstances Um, and there's something to be said for letting that kind of energy exist in those circumstances and then not try to resurrect it in some utterly different situation you know Um, uh, and that's I think the case for so many of the the classic 80s hardcore bands, right? Like, yeah. uh, think about, like, Minor Threat, right? Like, that is so viscerally the product of its time and the moment in which, you know, they were doing that. It, it's impossible to imagine it being any anywhere near as good outside of that context. Yeah, they, and they've never had a reunion, which right, is, yeah, like, the best. They hope they never will, you yeah. know? Like, and that's true for, you know, I think independent of genre, honestly. Um, yeah. Uh, I certainly don't, like, you know, I don't hold it against the musician for continuing on past what I consider to be the creative peak because, like... Well, what else are you going to do, right? really? You yeah. Know. I mean, like, you think about, like, especially, like, these career bands, you know? Like, think about Slayer, right? Like... I think their new record's killer, though, man. Yeah, I mean, like... It's, I like, saw them. I saw them over the summer. They were great. I saw them last in 2013. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first tours after Jeff Hanneman passed away. Yeah. And they shredded. It was fucking awesome. Like I like almost cried. I'm not. Gonna oh yeah, yeah. Like, I, I got real emotional about it. Like I saw them with uh, King Diamond, and they played down in Jersey. Oh yeah. At the that was a Mayhem yeah, festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The festival they were doing. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, most of the other bands weren't so great, really. Right. But I, I didn't. I didn't see many other. Yeah. I saw Diamond and I saw Slayer, and dude, it was like I really, you know, that when Tom Araya sings. I wasn't. I've never really been into it until this last time. Really? Like when he's they're playing the slower's material. Yeah. And he's like doing like some more like melodic kind of vocals. He does like the little three note like yeah yeah. But it but it I was like something about the the way the whole setting and maybe because there was the you know it was it was just you know the the whole vibe of the show. It made me like revisit those songs, like from those later records where he's yeah. doing more melodic singing. They they were they crushed, man. The last time I saw them, yeah. And their new record, I, I you know I fucking pre-ordered it. It was right. great. 
Yeah, so I was going to say, so like, you know, like, Slayer hasn't fallen apart the way a lot of No, 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 no. Sack them up against Metallica. Oh, God. Like, really, any, almost any other thrash band from that era. They really are the only thrash band that's held it together, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, some people will defend the later Megadeth stuff. No, no, fuck that. I, I, no. I mean, like, set aside all the bullshit that Dave Mustaine has said. Oh, yeah. Like, there's that whole fucking pile of garbage too what, what do, you, do you like Megadeth honestly um, like what's your opinion there, there are two Megadeth records that I listen to yeah I mean I think we're on the same page yeah yeah Peace Cells and Rust in Peace like yeah. those records are fucking incredible they are they're flawless 80s thrash well one's 1990 but still like yeah. 80s thrash that's like as good as it gets I see no reason to listen to anything else but that band. I'm with you on that I uh I, I have a hard time and even those records sound a little dated, but they're still yeah, yeah, they're still yeah. awesome though. Yeah, you know? right. Um, but I just never got down with Megadeth, man. Yeah. Like just those two records, and that was it. I was in and out with them. Well, they were, they were always the the flashiest of those bands, you know. And also it was vocals, dude, yeah. and the yeah. and, and the and the lyrics. Hello, me. <laughs> and the lyrics, the yeah. lyrics were not strong. No, they're right? not. They're not good. No. I mean, one of my favorite bizarre metal non sequiturs for lyrics is uh, from from Us in Peace. Uh, uh, on uh, the opening track, right? You know how there's like an ellipsis in the title? It's like, Holy Wars, dot, 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 the punishment do. Yeah. You know why that is? Uh, it's because the first half of the song is about uh, the, it's about, I, I can't remember, it's, it's it, they're kind of interchangeable almost in the context of the song, but it's either like the, the troubles in Ireland, right? Like the Protestants versus Catholics thing. Yep. Um, or the Israel-Palestine conflicts. I mean, it's basically treated the same way, right? Um, so it's one of those two subjects for the first half of the song. And then in the middle of the song, it segues to being a song about the Punisher. Like the... Like the comic book character? character Frank Punisher. Castle? Yeah, yeah, Frank Castle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've met him at shows before, I imagine. Like, uh, uh, but yeah, no, all of a sudden, you know the part where he's like, you know, let's sing about repelling down the, the rocks and all that shit. They killed my wife and my baby. That's oh my all God. of a sudden about the Punisher. He just, it just changed to be a song about the Punisher halfway through. See, I thought he it's was... fucking insane. Like, wow, I, that's interesting, man. Because, you know, I just thought it was all in the same context. Oh, no. Like, I mean, that's like... I I only... I always thought that, that the most bizarre lyric. I was always trying to figure out what the fuck the lyrics were about in that song. Did you put this together yourself or no, did you no, read no, this somewhere? I looked it up. I was no say, shit, like, really. I was like, uh, someone, someone has to have the answer, right? Huh. So, like... So I went and I kind of went on Wikipedia or something, and someone was like, yeah, just like, yeah, like the, you know, the, the midsection of the song is about the Punisher. And I was just like, uh, wow. why would you do that? <laughs> it's just completely bizarre. Well, you know, he was doing a lot of drugs. That's that true. Period, that was so. like Dave's like heavy alcohol period. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure mad cocaine and oh, whatever yeah. else. He strikes me as a guy who was like probably into a lot of cocaine. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, like you can tell from now because now he is a crazy Jesus freak. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the cycle right exactly, there. Man. Man. That's the yeah. art, man. Yeah. You know, you're like, whoop, you know, like in the yeah. middle, you're all like crazy and writing songs about the Punisher that are also about the troubles in Ireland and then like you come down and you're talking about chemtrails and how Obama's a Kenyan you know like and like that's that's just the end of the, the, the life cycle of that kind of guy so Do, doesn't doesn't Megadeth have a new record out too they are about to put a record out yeah okay um, it's called Dystopia um, oh really and okay the, the cover yeah I, I yeah, I, I just saw this a couple of days ago, which is the only reason why I actually remember it. Uh, uh, the cover looks like um, uh, a promo image from a new Tom Cruise sci-fi action movie. It's like a glossy <laughs> like, picture of like Vic Rattlehead like standing in a destroyed street like with a gun, and there's like you know like I think it's uh, 
it's like the Queensboro Bridge or something is destroyed in the background, you know, it's like a real kind of a Planet of the Apes looking vibe. Uh, I'll probably skip this yeah, one. Yeah, you, it, I also do like five seconds of a song and I was like, no, no, I don't think so. You know those, so, uh, was it Exodus put out those, um, those later two records, the Atrocity, Atrocity, yeah, yeah. those are actually pretty those good. Are, yeah. Those, They're like modern metal records. Yeah, yeah, there's one, there's a couple before it that they put out after the breakup too, they were also pretty good. Huh. Um they had, uh, they kind of been flip-flopping back between two vocalists. Yeah. Like the dude, uh, Zetro or whatever. Uh, I didn't know his name. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's him and there's one other guy, uh, Rob Dukes, I think his name okay. is. But yeah, but they're like brutal, like borderline yeah. metal. Yeah, totally. Records, yep. And they're good. Like, yeah. The real crazy guitar tones, like yep. super scooped and modern sounding, like... And it's punishing material too. Yeah, I really I enjoyed those two records, and yeah. uh, they, not not a lot of people talk about that though. Yeah, I think that um, that's probably part of the, the, the partially a product of kind of the way that like the um, the press dynamic works now. It seems that um, when bands like that, the classic era metal bands, reunite, um, the first record they put out when they get back together makes a big splash, right? Right. So like, yeah, yeah. So when the first the first of those Exodus records came out, I remember it was all over the place. It's called Tempo of the Damned. Okay, like, I remember that. Uh, and then as you continue to put out, you know, more and more records after that, it seems like less of a big deal to like kind of the coverage cycle side of things. Sure. Like, journalists are like. The they have the magpie instinct to go to the shiniest thing doesn't get awakened the same way, right? Um, so it's gonna be interesting to watch what happens with that in like the immediate future because now we have a bunch of these um, classic, you know, extreme metal bands that have gotten back together. So you have you know Carcass uh, and Gorguts a couple of years ago put out those two records that were both. You know the killer records. Yeah, Gore, the Gorguts records yeah. specifically is yeah. great. I, I I love that record. Yeah, you know, I. I'm a huge, huge Gorguts fan, yeah. as you probably know. Yeah, I can and, see that, definitely. Um, and I had very high expectations of that record. I mean, knowing that... Yeah, I gotta be honest with you, man. I'm not a big Carcass fan. Really? Yeah. Mm. I that's, a, that's one of the first extreme metal bands that I ever heard, right? Like, probably the fourth or fifth band that I heard with, like, crazy growl vocals at yeah. that time, right? Like, yeah. it was... Uh, the first one I heard was Symphonies of Sickness, right? Um... And so they're, they have, like, a really... Even at that time, before, like, like the mellow death, you know, mm -hmm. Carcass, before Heartwork, um, they have this weird melodic sensibility, yeah. right? Like, um, and so that, like... Because I heard it, I think, at such a young age, it just got its hooks right into me. And so that will... Their, their classic era material will always sound just, like, a revelation to me. Like, it's always going to be like that. Um, the, vo the vocal style of Jeff Walker also was, like, a big influence on me. Like, sure. Uh, raspy like snarly kind of vocal mm -hmm. um, and the lyrics real sarcastic and well written which yeah. is like a big thing for me but um, but yeah I don't know I mean like I don't feel like militant about them you know like some bands like if someone's like I don't like that band like I will fucking fight you right now yeah like, <laughs> it's not that I don't like them I just they're not they're not I'm not the biggest fan like yeah. I like the early material and uh, but I, and then I don't like anything Do you like after that. no okay. I don't like hard work at all yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. That's a that's a that's a uh, a very uh, divisive record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people either back it or they don't. Yeah, and one thing I, I've found, and this is something that I wouldn't. It seems kind of weird given the rest of my taste in metal because usually I like you know pretty gritty sounding yeah. shit, you know, like mm -hmm. pretty ugly, gnarly sounding stuff. I have this weird thing for um, during like the the end of the early nineties towards the mid nineties, like ninety four to ninety six, or I guess even ninety three to ninety six. Um, 
all these like classic era death metal bands like got signed to big labels and yeah. had like, yep. big recording buddies mm-hmm. and started making these like almost like arena rock sounding records yeah. even though it was like still like death metal right so like so Heartwork's an example uh, Domination by Morbid Angel mm-hmm. is another mm-hmm. example uh, Wolverine Blues to some extent is an example that still that. sounds pretty gnarly though. yeah it's a pretty yeah, dirty that's sound. a dirty record you can tell that, like that next to Clandestine like yeah. the, the recording budget went like yeah well Clandestine was probably recorded for like nothing yeah yeah I mean like, like that was like total that's like a demo sounding yeah, like, yeah. Recording, yeah. Like, you know like with the crazy guitar tone but, yeah but like that there's a whole set of records like that right like even some of like the later death records are kind of like that mm-hmm. you know you can tell all of a sudden they had like tripped out recordings and shit yeah and I just had this weird love for all all those records, all like the sellout death metal records. I don't know why. Like, oh, there was like, also that uh, Diatribes, the yeah, 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 Napalm. Yeah, yeah. Death had a period. Like yeah, that. those they had a few records, like songs yeah. from the Exit Wound, or yeah, you know, right, yeah, yeah. Look, that was like very like, grooving all the time. Yeah, you know? but then they made that Enemy of the Music Business record, which was like the return to yeah, form, yeah. and I was like, yeah, that, that was. Now, I mean, that like, that shit is better than I think in the groove era of Napalm Death stuff. And, and I and I don't oh, mind gosh. the I don't mind the groove era right. stuff because that's kind of what they. Music was like that. Now it was like Helmet, and yeah, you know yeah. that was like. I, I think those records are good. Yeah, I, I've had like I've had arguments where I'm defending Diatribes more times than I would care to. Dude, I, I, I like I back Diatribes. Yeah, I think it's cool. Sick, but like, but for me, that also extends to to like Domination, right? Yeah. Oh, like, dude, fuck yeah. Yeah, I love Domination, man. Like any I, any Morbid Angel record except for their last one. Yeah, pretty much, dude. Even Heretic, I think, is honestly. And, Pretty good. It's like, great, dude. The recording's not great, but the riffs are fucking sweet. Like an unsung Morbid Angel record is Gateways to oh, Annihilation. Man, that is yeah. definitely one of my favorites. Dude. But no one talks that much. I mean that that's not something that people go to. Yeah. Like they don't know, go to that record. I think part of it is because like the expectations for Morbid Angel were set by those first two records. Yeah. People wanted to hear like, you know, pretty like trashy sounding production. Yep. Like Dave Vincent singing kind of high, you uh-huh. know, like his like raspy shit on the early stuff. Yeah, um, and like th- and like thrash metal riffs, pretty much, right? Like the first two fast like thrash yeah. riffs. Yeah, yeah, just like lots of speed picking, yep. and, like not tuned too low or anything like that. But, but man, I tell you, like the the sort of the Steve Tucker era Morbid Angel stuff when they got really crazy fast from the fast parts and like the guitars were tuned super low yeah they, that was like the early sludge shit was fucking oh I love that shit that was like what like, like 2003 2004 maybe I guess like that I think that era like the the Steve Tucker period was like 96 or 7 to 2000 yeah, came out it, yeah 2000 gateways yeah, right. but like if you gotta think about what was going on in music though in the late 90s cause death metal was Way right. dead, yeah, yeah. Way and the the existing bands were like way underground. Right, you know, that was like with Dying Fetus and you know I think Origin came out around that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nile started. Nile started around then, but uh, but like new metal was big, right? And that yeah. low tuned groove kind of thing. So that right. you know, hence Napalm Death diatribes. But that Morbid Angel thing, like when I heard Gateways, I was like, this is like. And, and I'm look. I'm not a fan of of new metal. I think it's right. like some of the worst sounding <laughs> yeah. shit ever. Well, I'm sure you remember it too well for your own yeah, case. yeah. <laughs> but that vibe of that record was like what new metal kind of hinted at. Like there was like, okay, this could be awesome, but it just falls flat. 
You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, for me, the best example of that, honestly, is the late 90s Meshuggah material. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah like totally. Like, Chaosphere. Dude, yeah. there's a song... This is, like, this running joke with me and the other guys in Piron. There's this song on Chaosphere uh, called Neurotica, uh, which, the first riff, it's literally just like... It's a chord riff. Yeah. It's a chord riff. Only also they're using seven strings yeah, and stuff. Seven and strings, you yeah. Seven strings, you have a rattly, loose-sounding yep. bass, just yeah. like this loose diarrhea thing. And I'm like... And that song, at one point, Yans Kidman, the vocalist, he starts, like, scream rapping. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's fucking straight out of the new metal playbook. But, like... And it's awesome. It's exactly. Like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, dude. Meshuggah, I like all their records. And then with Obzin, they went back to playing, like, more noodly kind right. of, like... You know, technical stuff. Exactly. Even Definitely, yeah. even though like all those like the quote unquote new metal era of that band, the time changes and stuff were still pretty crazy. Though. Right? Yeah. I mean, like so, like the like the simple Meshuggah record is nothing, right? Yeah. Like, and then it was like, oh yeah, the records it's, it's all in four, right? Like that's like kind of true in a sense. Like, I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff that's a polyrhythm in four. Yeah. But, like, it's not really just in four. And if you ever try to play. Any riff on that record, you'll find that out very fucking quickly. Yeah, you yeah. can't do it, right? Yeah. Like, um, and I feel like the the new metal slam is, in some ways, it's like kind of accurate because it's the same like weird like often like two note like low end groove thing. Yeah, it was a sonic thing that they but, were going for more. Right, but it's like not spiritually; it's completely no, 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 yeah. no. Yeah, like they came. I mean, those guys are. I mean, I listen to that band for almost 20 years now and they still seem like just fucking aliens to me yeah you know? yeah but, yeah uh, whereas new metal like it's that's not the case see but the thing is though man and, and I'm not defending new metal once again <laughs> you know I have to say that but it makes sense that that music in a way is powerful to certain people who haven't who maybe don't have the same background in music that we do sure because when they those fucking slams, like those mosh parts oh, they have, <laughs> are fucking brutal, man. Oh, man. It's like you're wearing a suffocation shirt yeah, right there. Exactly. So it's yeah. like, you know, they're probably, they have the hardest fucking, you know, mosh parts out of all death metal bands, in well, my opinion, I, probably. I understand absolutely the the primal power of a fucking guttural sounding groove part, man. Yeah. Like, I still love that kind of thing. It's not just suffocation. I mean, like, there are bands that are taking that to, like, the next level now. I mean, I don't know if you've ever listened to uh, Defeated Sanity, um, but Defeated Sanity is this German death metal band that's been around for 10-ish years, um, uh, and they it's basically just like suffocation with everything ramped up, right? Like, the technical parts are... Defeated like, Sanity. Defeated Sanity, right? Great band name, my That is a cool um, name. Yeah, like, you just know, you already, f- you have the feeling that the music will give you when you hear that phrase, right? Um, and it's, it's basically just like, it's... Uh, just like kind of the next step in the evolutionary chain from something like suffocation where like the fast parts instead of just being like really fast crazy thrash parts are just like incomprehensible psychotic noise huh how many records do these guys Uh, have out they've got four I want to say the most recent full length which is my favorite is called Passages Into Deformity and it is just the most satisfying combination of gibberish technicality and insanely guttural slams, right? Okay. Like, just like, I mean, you're talking about like kind of new metal feeling shit? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fucking jump the fuck up feeling, right? Like, but it's ridiculously heavy at the same time. The, so w- what would you recommend as a, the record to start with with Defeated Sanity? I would Sanity? say probably the same one I was just talking about. Okay. Passages into Deformity. It's also the most like organized feeling record. <laughs> uh, 
some of the previous stuff, it just sounds like it sounds like if you like took like a Suffo song and like fast forwarded it and then rearranged it so the riffs don't line up anymore, you know, like they get pretty nonsensical sounding sometimes. Okay. But on that most recent record, like you could actually after a bunch of listens you can remember the songs and it is just the most fucking caveman, like brainstem level satisfying death metal, like around pretty much in my opinion. I've I went from not liking this band at all to being obsessed with them. Huh, like, okay. Uh, it, it it sucks you in the more you listen to it. You just, you get obsessed with it, honestly. That's how I feel about that Polish band, Hate. I don't know oh, if you were, yeah. No, I know that. Yeah. yeah. That band is like, I think I got like four of their albums now. And I just like, Ben, our bass player, turned me on to them because uh, when he was in Woe, they played, They I think they were on one of the tours with Mayhem, maybe. That sounds, yeah, that sounds right. I remember, yeah. I remember that being like a thing that was going to happen, but I didn't remember it actually happened. Yeah. Like, I know that touring with Mayhem can be like. Yeah, we were supposed to tour Mayhem uh, twice. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know so. the one time you were talking to Alex about playing drums with you guys. Right? Yeah. yeah. And the tour got uh, canceled. What happened with that one? Uh, that one, they just, they fucking decided not to come to the States. What? Yeah, they, they just decided not to sh- not to, not to do the tour. Wow. Yeah. That's a. Uh, I I guess that that's the kind of thing that you can do when you're mayhem. Except you know what, dude? I don't think that they're they're really pulling in the kind of numbers that warrants. I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, I feel like it's a bad look no matter who you are. Yeah, but, but you know, like that's uh, if you, if you there's some it implies like some level of success that I don't think is present with that band. Yeah, really. I mean. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, buddy. <laughs> cool it. Calm down. Getting attacked by the cat. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like my conception of how popular mayhem really is is like has been destroyed by years of thinking of them as like mayhem, like the foundational black metal. Yeah, I mean, I love mayhem, but yeah, like, I don't. I mean, yeah, of course they're you know a classic band, incredibly influential on so many other bands that I love yeah. right but that doesn't necessarily translate into people actually showing up and putting their asses in seats when they come to town right? yeah, like, yeah. Um, that's something that I think is really prevalent in like metal circles is people are so passionate about the music um, and so comparatively ignorant of the business side of things they just have no idea like how popular bands actually are yeah so, um this is compounded, I think, also by um, the most available um, method people have, for the most part these days, of gauging how popular a band is, um, is looking at social media, right? It's like looking at Facebook, looking at Twitter, looking at like how many likes people have and stuff like that. Yeah. And in practice, that is not representative of fucking anything. No, like those numbers don't mean I like, shit. I like shit all the time. I don't even know what the fuck it is half right, the time. Exactly. I'm yeah. like, it's like, oh, someone like my buddy sent me a yeah. like thing. All right, sure. Yeah, like, you know. And you see, you know, you see these like uh, this seems like a, a weird sort of idiosyncrasy of like a, a brutal death metal culture. Um, you see these like no name like brutal death metal bands from Indonesia mm-hmm. or uh, uh, somewhere like that. You know, like some some like developing world like country. And they have a hundred thousand Facebook likes. Yeah. They have so many fucking Facebook likes. And you would think that like, oh, that means that they must be comparatively popular. Um, that's not fucking true. Like, no, 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 no. 
anything. You know, yep. that like that band, like the No Name Slam Band from Indonesia, if they like came to you know San Francisco and played a show, there would be fifteen people there usually. You know, yeah, because like, I mean, there there what there would be people though because right. there's true. that guy out there who's all about that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just right. like you're, we're talking about. These, you know, these this band from Germany that you, yeah. Um, yeah, defeated Sandy. Defeated Sandy. That if they played here, you'd go. Yeah, totally. And because, actually, they did last year. Oh, and, really? And, yeah, man. Uh, dude, it was a, uh, it was for New York Death Fest. Oh no way! Okay. This year. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like, it was. They played Vitus. It wasn't sold out. I don't think, but it was a full room. Like, huh. Okay. Um, I mean, that band has a following, though, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. The kind of bands I'm talking about are bands that, like, even people who love that kind of shit, like me, have never heard of before, right? right? They're just, right. like, m- massively obscure. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And yet the numbers are just totally unrepresentative, you know? Where do you uh, think those numbers come from? Um, I have no fucking idea. Because <laughs> I, I, I can see that, because I, I, like, stuff comes up in my Facebook feed all the time, and I'm like, this looks interesting, I'm going to like it, you know? Right, or, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, shit I didn't even fucking heard of ever. I think part of it is just that, like, um, it must be said in, like, in countries, you know, like, uh, like Indonesia, the Philippines, and, uh, uh, in Eastern Europe, a lot of countries have really active brutal death metal scenes. I know Russia has a huge brutal death metal scene. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, a lot of it is, like, local grassroots enthusiasm. Dude, I'm, I'm, a, I'm all about Poland right now, man. Yeah, dude. Like, Tons of great bands oh, from Poland. Man. Well, I mean, they, I mean, they are, they are the kings of, like, like, that country is, like, the, almost like the trope maker for, like, like, sort of, like, economically disadvantaged country with a fucking incredible metal scene, right? Yeah. Like, the story that I always think of, and I don't know if this is true, but um, but I, I've heard the story a few different times, and it, like it's so awesome that I just want it to be true. Is about Vader, right? Yeah, um, man, yeah. fucking great band. Yeah, yeah. Vader, like obviously a, a killer band. Right? Yeah, like years and years of awesome records, right? Um, Vader, I have heard um, when they started in the eighties, right? This is pre-fall of the Soviet Union, pre-fall of the Iron Curtain. So they're still like you know they're in like Soviet bloc fucking Poland right you know it's uh, they've got like a public government that's you know really like you know controlled by the Kremlin and like yeah. uh, there's all kinds of trade embargoes between them and the West. Um, what I've been told is that they were unable to buy like sufficiently high gain amps to play death metal right like they like they, they weren't for sale there right? yeah they weren't there I can right. see that right exactly right there's yeah. no there's no fucking you can't get the JCM right like there's nothing right so what I've heard and again I don't don't know this is true but I think it should be true if it's not <laughs> uh, is that they just built their own apps they just like basically figured out how to like game stage uh, and just manufacture it themselves with like a soldering iron and shit um which, if it is true, is the most badass fucking thing I've ever heard. That like, is badass. That is that is commitment to playing extreme music that most people who do it now cannot even comprehend, myself included. Like I have, you know, I've like done plenty of DIY kind of stuff, but building an amp like that's serious. You know, that yeah. that takes commitment. Like, well, you know, a little bit of know how. There's like people out there that I know that can do that yeah. shit. But yeah, I do it. But yeah. Like, you know, like a great. I mean, example, I, I, I can't do it. But, yeah, but great example. I think of people who like just like learn how to do that thing because they want to. Is like uh, um, the whole Varellan amp line. Oh yeah, like, Ben Varellan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those amps sound great. Yeah, he has great, cool. great amps. I have. Yeah, They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, I know. I know Ben too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You cool. Know. Um, but yeah, like so people people do that kind of thing, but purpose learning it because you had no access. 
to to the gear that you needed to play the music you wanted to play. That is that's fucking awesome. It's badass. Yeah. But th- um, there's a bunch of other bands like um you know Hate, which we talked about recently. Right. In like I that's like lately been my new obsession. Them and uh, and Magua. Oh, who are dude, playing? Yeah, oh, who are ah. and they're playing. Yeah, soon. Yeah, they're playing the Martyrs, Martyr Doom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, two nights. Yeah, I know they're playing two nights. Uh, Revenge is playing too. Yeah, new Revenge. Revenge. Yep. Oh, I gotta hear. I gotta check the new, yeah, the new yeah. Revenge album. Yeah, they dropped a couple of tracks from it, and it is like more hectic sounding than I would ever have expected. Yeah, and that has put out as many records as they've put out. So um, they're still crushing it. Um, there's some other good ones. Um, isn't a uh, oh what the hell? Uh, the band that I never thought I was going to see, but Kriegs Machine. Oh, them too. Yeah, they're a great band. They're not playing though, are they? No, no, no. Oh, okay. oh you mean at at, at yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah, Martyr Doom yeah. Festival? Yeah, there's another band that I like was like pretty sure I was never going to see that are playing. Mortuary Drape. I've seen Mortuary. Oh, you have? Before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, I want to see them too. Yeah, I saw them at MDF. Cool. Uh, a while back, they were fucking awesome. Uh, I'll come back to me later. Yeah. But, um, but that Cruise Machine, uh, the record they put out, I guess it was last year? Yeah. Yeah. That is an incredibly underrated record. Like, there was no discussion of it that I saw, um, except for, like, a handful of people talked about it a little bit. But um, but I feel like that band is just kind of overshadowed by McGuire. Yeah, because McGuire is getting a lot, of, a lot of hype these days, which is good for them, man. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited about them. Yeah, no, they deserve yeah, it. Them, McGuire and, uh, and Secrets of the Moon from Germany. Yeah. They're probably my two favorite black metal bands. Those two. Yeah, those I two. I haven't listened to Secrets of the Moon that much. Dude. They have, they have a new record out, too. Oh, they do? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's out yet, but I, I, have, a, I have a copy of it. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking amazing shit, man. Is it the same kind of relatively similar vein? No. Or? Right. No, um, but the new new record which is coming out is uh, it's like real. It sounds um, it's like if Killing Joke was like a black metal band. Oh, sick! And their other stuff is more um, like some like death metal riffs with like black metal vocals, like kind of black death. Oh, okay, you know? yeah, yeah. I think I've heard some of the like. I don't know. There's there's so many bands now. Yeah, it's hard to pick through the ones it's, that are great. Yeah, right, and this is like part of the reason that we do this column that yeah. I was talking about earlier. It's Secrets like, of the Moon, top yeah. top of the list All right, for me, man. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. Also, Fade has done two remixes for them. Oh, too. really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you about. Actually, he, he is on the new the new Tunes record, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah he's a, he's a full time member of the band. Sick. Is he, it, doing, is he doing vocals too? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you haven't seen his playing. I haven't in a while. seen you guys since he joined. So we yeah, I, I saw like, it all with Charlie last year, but I didn't see. That was thing. Paul Barrett's tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We haven't really done a whole lot of shows in the United States this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who can blame you? I mean, bro. well, you know, well, dude. After our last European tour. <laughs> oh, how did that go? It was horrible, dude, and it had and um, it's, really? it's 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 got nothing to do with the bands that are played. It, it was, was you guys in Black Ammo, right? Yeah, it was yeah. great traveling with those guys. That was during the same time that we were in Europe, I think. It was really? last April. Yeah, it was April, yeah. and yeah, Road because we played Roadburn on yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah Road, Roadburn was killer. I mean, not there were there were some good shows there. Sure, but mainly it was working with this guy Luke Favi. Luke Favi, who yeah. works at um, or I hope I don't know if he still does, but he works with the booking agency Rock the Nation. Okay, yeah, I know of Rock the Nation. Yeah, and uh, it just didn't. It was a fucking com- total clusterfuck. He blew it, huh? He totally blew it. Oh God, and. uh 
How many weeks was the tour? It was. It wasn't that long. It was just okay. like under three so weeks. So you weren't being like brutally destroyed by it. No, but this is the first time like we went over there and actually came back like with no with not making any Nothing. money. Yeah. 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 Like barely covering it. And that's like, I mean, well, Europe is just generally speaking kind of tough because you got to fly there, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All logistics and everything. Yeah. Well, too, but um, but that's a, I mean, like, so if something goes wrong. Dude, everything went wrong on this tour. Everything, every single thing that could go wrong <laughs> went wrong on this tour. Like from the from not having the right type of ticket for, um, you know, for to, to allow for certain amounts of luggage leaving, Oof. leaving before we even left. Oh, we had problems too. Yeah, damn, dude. Like we had to. Yeah, like, you can have like a fucking carry a pouch on the plane with you. Yeah, Meanwhile, yeah. you got like there's a guitar. There's a whole like our knees on the scale thing trying. to like, like, oh man, it was. That was the yeah. first fuck up. And that just colored the, the, that was a precursor to the entire tour. Going to shows, no contract, not knowing, and that's important in Europe. I mean, I know that in the States it's a little different, but like over there, especially in Germany, everyone takes, is very, very meticulous when it comes to paperwork in Germany. Especially in Germany. Yeah. yeah. What a fucking surprise. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> but, but like everything was fucked up on that tour. Uh, going to, uh, after Roadburn, we went to England. Right. right, and then we didn't have you know fucking papers. You need to have a work permit to go there, and that's just usually done like the week of. It's not. I mean, I, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's totally. I know. I know the drill. I've done. You know, been there a bunch of times. Usually, you get that shit the week before, the week before you go, or a couple of days before. I had the. We didn't have the papers, at all, until the morning we left, <laughs> and and the only reason why the guy that this guy Luke disappeared I don't know where the fuck he went and then uh, I had to call my friend Francis who was the prom- who promoted he was a promoter on all the UK shows and he does um, Temple's Festival and he booked all the shows in the UK sure. and I'm like bro <laughs> we got a situation here please and he just like he just like handled it and then you know, but via email, I just got the um, you know all the paper, all the paperwork that we needed, and we got on the ferry, and everything was cool. Yeah. But every possible thing that could have gone wrong on the tour just fucking went wrong, man. And when and when you're in Europe, that's like it's that much more stressful because you're so fucking far from home. Yeah, dude. Like, you know you don't want to deal with that shit. Right. Like if things go like if you, you know if you lose a bunch of money and shit and you have to fly home at the end of it, like one of the biggest get, like. One of the biggest pluses about touring Europe is always have a place to stay. Oh, my God. Right? Like, so we, this was a new experience for us because, you know, Piran went to Europe for the first time yeah. in April, right? Sure. Like that tour, right? That was our first time over there. I, I have heard all the stories from everyone who's done it. I know that they, I knew in advance that they would house you and feed you, yeah. like, generally speaking, like, treat you with respect and like you're a human and not like a some kind of fucking vermin that is trying to get out of their establishment, right? Yeah, yeah. But the degree of difference it made was surprising to me. Like, oh, yeah. It, like, it was such a more humanizing and less grueling experience. Yeah, like, England's a little bit more like the States, though, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, England, we got put up in hostels a few times, but they put us up. I yeah. I mean, like, the level, you have to understand, and also, like, you know, we're still touring at, like, the total rinky-dink, you know, bullshit level over here, right? Like, you know, we're still, like, you know, just gutter scum for, you know, most venues that we roll up to, right? So, so when we show up in the States and we are given a 
five dollar you know large little Caesar's pizza if I uh, see you yeah. know like the thing that every cheap ass promoter if they feel like pay, like giving you food gives you we're happy right like we're like yeah. oh we get to eat for free this time we're fucking psyched right like whereas like so going from that to like you know the first entire half of our tour was in France because we were touring with a French band right who'd you guys tour with over there the band's called Department of Correction um, okay. they're a they're a grind band um they're kind of they're sort of in like the European grind vein of like mostly putting out like seven inches and splits and stuff yeah, like that. yeah. They don't, they've only have they've been around for as long as we have they only have one full length uh, right uh, and they like are more oriented towards touring than towards like putting out lots of material right so yeah. so they've been over here three times for instance oh wow period. okay uh, yeah, they're like really aggressive about touring um, because they have lovely, you know, French work schedules where they get off fucking like two months a year, year or right? something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so they can they can just do that. It's fine, yeah. you know. Whereas like we're all like scrambling, fucking yeah, just like, figuring out ways to make the ends meet over right, here. Exactly. You know, like, yo, you have to like, go out of town for three work days. Like you better fucking save your money. Yeah, you know? like, um, but yeah, so like, so going over there and touring with them and. Like, showing up, rolling up to a venue and being given, like, huge vat of, like, home-cooked pasta. And, oh, yeah. Like, charcuterie and cheese and crackers and, like, good wine and stuff like that. It yeah. just blew my fucking mind. Like, I I didn't think it was going to be as big of a deal to me as it was. But, oh, man, that's crucial. Yeah. It's crucial. Well, the, the thing is, like, also, that tour was 16 days straight. No mm-hmm. breaks. Yeah. So, like, just being able to eat and sleep. Like at will, yeah. Completely changed experience. I don't know if we wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Like we might have had a fucking mental meltdown. Yeah, it's tough. So, with that said, when we played in Munich, no place to stay. Ooh, really? Yeah. Seriously? Oh yeah. Ooh man, that's a a big fucking no-no. Check this out, man. Like uh, the venue we played at, there's like two ven, two rooms there. One huge room and a small room. We played the small room. It was like a Monday night or whatever. Sure. And, uh, but there's like, um, this pretty sweet, like crash pad connected to it. That's like rad. Right. The, Great. German, the German sleeping room. Right? Yeah. But it's not like the one that you're, you're the ones that I'm thinking of are like graffiti all over room. And yeah, you know, it's matched to the floor. Yeah. Like, this one is like legit. There's like beds. There's no graffiti. It's like, you know, mopped every day. And there's like a killer. I've, I've played there like three or four times already. And, um, totally awesome but we didn't get a chance to stay there this time because the promoter or not the promoter our booking agent Luke Favi <laughs> did not tell the, the promoter how many people were in the travel party didn't tell him anything about us having overnight accommodations didn't advance any of the shows so it was a fucking so we had to we had to like spend money and get a hostel that night really? yeah. they wouldn't just let you go in there either well there was another band that oh, had, another room. there was another room oh. but that can accommodate that has yeah. a big enough accommodation for everyone. Those rooms are usually gratuitously huge. Even the filthier version, yeah. you know, like, yeah. usually, like, like, ah, whatever. Yeah, like, you feel like, like 20 people, people there, yeah. There. Yeah, right, like. So this guy fucked up, and then uh, when we played in, um, you know, like, when we didn't have those those uh, those work permits, I got him on the phone, and I'm like, that shit doesn't show up. I'm getting on a plane, and I'm fucking flying home, <laughs> and you can go fuck yourself for the yeah. rest of these these shows. And they still didn't show up. I had to go out and have the, have uh, Francis Mace in England, right. who's like one of the, one of the best dudes out there. Honestly, really, he made it happen, man. If it wasn't for Francis, we wouldn't have been able to get into the UK. I have a good story about that, actually. Um, Getting into the UK? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, uh, as you can imagine, so like we, so we're doing this tour with Department of Correction, right? Like, um, uh, they are a let's put it this way: they're very DIY in spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty punk rock operation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they set up the tour, uh, okay. So, um, and for the most part, it went great, right? Like, sure. You know, I mean, they, they tour a lot, so right, they have they tour all a lot, that. so they know what they're doing. Um, the only hiccup that um, that uh, happened the entire time is that um, so previously they toured with American bands in Europe, right? And they've gone to the UK, um, and in every past uh, experience, they've managed to just talk their way through it, right? So they didn't get the work permits or anything like that. I knew I found out about this in advance, and I was like. Are you sure, guys? Like, are you positive this is going to be cool? And they're like, yeah, you know, you know, it is fine. It is, it is good. We do this before. You know, it's good. You know, uh, so they're just like, well, yeah, it's fine. Um, so I was like, well, they would know. You know, they've done this before. They did it with uh, uh, Mother Brain, who are from around here, a grindcore band from Long Island. Uh, uh, Mother Brain, we talked to them before the tour. They're like, yeah, everything was great. You know, it was fun to do. You guys should go do it. So we went over there. Um, we pull up to the um, to the customs office. At yeah, Cal- Calais. Calais. Right, yeah. exactly. And there's oh, those like French man. Yeah, and there's like no, no, you guys can't compete. Like, yeah. what the fuck? You're a band? No, go the fuck to the office, yeah. right? They immediately were like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. Yeah. you guys are on tour. No, yeah. like, you're not. Uh-huh. This is not going to work out. Um, so we go over to the office. Um, and this is this is in April. Um, so we um, uh, ended our relationship with Relapse um, a month before this, right? Um, just like that's which will become important soon. Um, so basically, like we are in the process of talking to this British customs official who like clearly wants to let us into the country, but like he he like has to cover his ass. For your yeah, country, dude, it's right? fucking illegal, man. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's like, like yeah. this guy can get a, 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 at the very least probably lose his job. Exactly. You know? Right. Yeah. Basically, like he was like. The, the subtext of what he was saying, not the words, were like, yeah, like, well, I'd love to let you in, but if it looks like you're a professional touring band, you can't enter the country, idiots, you know, like, which is fair, you know, I kind of felt like yeah, we have done this, but like, um, but I don't know, I thought it was going to be fine, because, you know, that's what... The French guys told you yeah, it was fine. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's what we expect, <laughs> the French guys said it was fine, so I was like, oh, that's fine. Um, so... Um, so basically, we like go through this whole process of explaining to him like what like a DIY tour is and like how we're not making any money and how you know like it's like not really for work because like the entire the band is not a business you know like it's a net loser for all of us right like none of us make any money doing this and blah blah giving him you know the usual you know uh, explanation that you would give to a you know a public servant that you want to yeah. you know. To help you, you swam onto out your out of, side. Exactly, out of pity for your like pathetic lifestyle. <laughs> so we're like almost getting him, and then like he goes to a back room and like he googles us, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like so I see you guys are on uh, Relapse Records, huh? Like it looks like a pretty professional label, you know? Like I see you get merch on for sale online. Like you guys are pros. Like you can't come in here and like so first of all, like it flashes through my head like the entire history Everyone, of Relapse Records yeah. and like how like how many, like, shady underground bands have been in the label, right? But, like, he doesn't know about this stuff. So, um, so what I end up doing, and this actually works, is I show him the email exchange being like, we're not on relapse anymore. Oh, and he's like, very crafty. Yeah, and he's like, oh, okay. He let you in. Yeah, so he let us in. 
Wow. Yeah. How so, long did that take, that whole thing? It took four fucking hours. And did you guys miss the ferry you were scheduled to get on? We did, but he but they, they recompensed us for the replacement ticket. Okay. So we didn't have to pay any extra money for yeah. that. But, um, but yeah, so like actually that was how we ended up getting into England, is like uh, demonstrating that we were no longer in relapse. Like, wow. Uh, so, yeah. so how, what's this? What's this all about now? Like your your new album's not on relapse. Yeah. Um, so basically, like um, it was uh, as far as the relapse thing, it was just like music industry stuff. Like yeah. they didn't sell it the way they wanted, so that was that. You know, like um, shit happens. Um, uh, so we basically uh, we knew before that like came to light that um, that basically so this year is relapses like. 25th anniversary, I guess. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So they're repressing all of these old records from their catalog. So, so even before all that happened, like their release schedule for the year was just like it's all like old represses. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was just like panned out with all these things, right? So, so they were like well in advance of that. We finished the 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 new EP that we put out recently. Um, we finished that last year, and we we're like, hey guys, like, because you know, our contract didn't specify anything about EPs. It was just like you know they get first writer refusal. Yeah. That was it, right? And so we're like, hey guys, like, we recorded something, <laughs> check it out. And they're like, this is awesome, but like, our next year is really slammed, so like, you know, um, uh, we probably can't do it. So we basically ended up getting in touch with um, uh, Dave Hall, who runs Handshake Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, who uh, is probably best known for working with uh, Jusifer and Sulaco, yep. mm-hmm. Gridlink, and uh, a few other bands like that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Handshake Inc's pretty well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like he's uh, he's put out a lot of great records. He makes music videos a lot too. Um, really awesome dude. I had kind of struck up a friendship with him a few years before that, um, just through like press shit. Uh, I think I was doing a debut of part of his Wake concert movie, like Wake with an R. Yeah, the know? band Wake. Yeah, yep. the, band, the band Wake. Right. Yep. Um, there's also a, a Canadian band Wake with no R that he's worked with, so um, that's why. I clarify um anyway so um so basically uh i was like hey well you know like we're already talking about stuff like i know you uh mostly press vinyl so um so we have the cp like and it seems like it's kind of up your alley it's like you know noisy insane sounding shit and yeah. i know you like that kind of thing sure so, so he, and he just dove on it. So basically, it was like, it was already in the works. Um, cool. So we put out the vinyl version of that in uh, in June. Uh, and we did a little sort of couple little weekendy kind of things around that. Um, and now um, we have a CD version of it as well that came out through Self Made God, which mm-hmm. is. Like yeah, a, it's another fairly well known. Yeah, pretty well known Polish, like grind yeah. death metal yep. label. They work with like Intigma yeah. and. Uh, uh, Drugs of Faith and mm-hmm. a few other bands. Uh, um, and so, yeah, um, so that is now, like, kind of nearing the end of its uh, immediate life cycle as far as, like, us doing stuff with it. Um, uh, and so I guess up next, um, so we have a couple of sort of short-form things that we're going to record. Um, we're going to be putting out, uh, it looks like a split next year. Cool. Um, Who's the other band? Um, so it's going to be, it looks like, and I don't want to uh, set this in stone because it's not like totally officially finalized yet, but it's probably going to be us, Sulaco, and a band called Piss Vortex, who are from Denmark, uh, who are awesome, like crazy, like kind of noise-oriented grindcore. Um, they have like a real clattery, like Telecaster sounding guitar tone. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Uh, and they're just like killer songwriters and cool. a really like aggressive, exciting young band. Uh, they only have one record. Uh, so yeah, so it's a really exciting group of bands to, to work Sulaco's with. Sulaco's rad. I fucking love Sulaco. Yeah. Uh, it's their first new material in a long time. A while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, um, Eric Burke, the guitarist, oh, yeah. is busy with... He just toured with Napalm Death. Like that dude's like on. He's every. He can do anything. That guy. Oh yeah. Play he, drums. He can play guitar. Oh, yeah. Like he's, a yeah, he's also in, in Blurring. Put the record yeah. out earlier this year. He used to be Calabas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brutal uh, Truth. Yeah. Brutal Truth. He was in for a while. Yeah. He tours with Nuclear Assault too. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You see that. So he is just a fucking shred yeah. monster. Because uh, Danny Looker, Looker lives up in Rochester. Yeah. yeah. So Actually, the, it was really funny. Um, uh, remember that show that we played at the Bug Jar up there? Yes, that's right. Years ago. Um, that was one of the first blurring shows yep. and I had no idea that Danny Wilker was in the band yeah so, so he just shows so up so we were there and he just walked in the door and I was just like oh my god one, one of the most like <laughs> approachable dudes ever oh yeah he was like the nicest was guy like, yeah like hey man yeah. good to meet you and I was one like, of the nicest dudes you'd probably yeah. ever meet meanwhile my like fucking like the inner 16 year old is just like oh my god dude like Danny Wilker just like rolled up to a show too open for my band. Like, yeah, it was their first show. insane. Yeah. Like, totally crazy. No um, ego, just, you know. Like, there are people out there with how, who have done way less than him who have bigger egos. Oh, definitely. That. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, he's fucking guy, Anthrax, dude. Yeah, I mean, like... Founding member. It, one of the founding it, members it, of Anthrax. It, like, S.O.D. S.O.D. Like, crossover. Yeah, right? man. Like, you uh, know, fucking like, Brutal Truth. Uh, yeah, all the shit that he's done since yeah, Hem- Hemlock. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, it, it's just... Keystone of so many different, like, sort of little niche metal styles, like, could easily, I'm sure, if you wanted to, just be doing, like, the big touring circuit guy thing. But oh, yeah. It's like, he's not really doing that. He's, re- he's retired from touring, famously, right? Like, uh, last year was his last year, like, uh, doing a lot of touring with Brutal Truth, right? So, yeah. So he's just kind of chilling up in Rochester. Yeah, and I, I have, and the fact that he's, that that's the case and he's still, like, recording music and, like, Playing underground bands, he's got a black metal band now too. Um, well, he was uh, an early, an early American fan of black metal. Right. Well, he was involved in all the tape trading. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, uh, but the fact that he's just still playing in like underground bands that like are not going to massage his ego in any way, you know that that to me is like the sign of like a true musician. Right? Totally, like, man. Absolutely. Like, that kind of just like indifference to like the prestige of the project and like willingness to just like, go and still after like 30 fucking years of doing that kind of thing to still go and like play these little ass shows like that is all respect in the world for that kind oh, of thing oh dude yeah. yeah it's incredible yeah. like he's also I think one of the um, inventors of uh, distorted bass too like he's one of the one of the guys out there you know I, I don't I don't know that I, I, I'm just saying first one he's one of the first guys I'm, I'm just saying that I'm making that statement now I don't know if it's true <laughs> but him and Shane Embury are like right. yeah, the yeah. two distorted bass yeah. players. When you, when you think when you think of that like that grindcore rattle, yeah, you think of those Shane Embury guys. and Dan Loker. Yeah, and then you think of uh, um, what's his name from Repulsion. Uh, oh, wow, uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Repulsion guy. Repulsion <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm kicking myself right now, but yeah, those, those are like the the distorted '80s bass notes, right? Yep. Like. Um, and yet he still will fucking like roll up and play a tiny show, you know. Like, uh, it's I'm, bugging me that I don't know that dude's name from the Repulsion because it's like on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Dylan something. Uh, uh no, it's, uh, Scott Carlson. Scott Carlson. Yeah, yeah. see, so I didn't. Even, I, was, I was thinking of Dylan Carlson. Yep, I didn't even have to look yeah, it up. There we go. See yeah. that, Scott Carlson. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Yeah. 
That was pissing me off. Too. Yeah, I'm like, it's on a two of my tongue. I'm like, fucking Ronnie Cole. I don't, you know, I don't know, man. Like Scott Carlson, yeah. Scott Carlson's good friends with uh, Jay Bennett, my, one of my good friends. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Jay was telling me that Scott, when he was in Repulsion, was really heavily just into like classic rock sounding stuff. Like he was like, not really a, an extreme music fan. Like he was like way into like, you know, um, like Deep Purple and like Thin Lizzy That's and stuff funny, like that. Like for like, he is like the most like overtly extreme music part of that entire package. Yeah, right? like yeah. like he's the most crazy sound. In oh yeah, there, right. I yeah, mean, like even with like the early blasting, yep. and, like the early death metal vocals. Yeah, like that bass tone is the most like. People that, that people still imitate that bass. Yeah, you know? yeah, Scott, yeah. Those three guys, yeah. and, and I think Repulsion actually might have been one of the first bands to incorporate blast beats into as, this. As far as like blasting in a metal context, yeah, because yeah. like before before like grind bands, yeah, like blast. Um, it existed in like a jazz context. Yep, I heard it in jazz right? actually. Yeah, yeah. Andrew turned Andrew Andrew hit, hipped me to that. Andrew Hernandez, oh, yeah, told me about. Blast beats and jazz. Yeah, music. yeah. There's like a little yeah. like jazz, like uh, even like a gravity blast, like the technique uh-huh. of doing a gravity blast, like a one-handed roll. Comes from jazz, jazz right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then like I guess like the first bands to really do it in a rock context were punk bands. Like DRI had a song early on. Yeah. That had like a kind of blast, kind of like yeah, it's like a the like black metal speed sort of blast. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and then really like the first couple bands to do it in like a metal-y kind of way were like, yeah, so like they Ball Death, right? Uh, and Repulsion. Repulsion. And Terrorizer, yep. I guess. Yeah, Terrorizer. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carcass too, to some extent as well. But, um, but yeah, no, like yeah, he, uh, that band is, you know, I don't, Repulsion's not a band that I had found myself actually reaching for to listen to too often. Uh, but, as far as the like the quantity of like techniques that you know uh, still reverberate through the whole genre there is they're high up in the list oh yeah, yeah man yeah I listen to them every now and then definitely especially um, there was that decibel uh, anniversary 100th issue thing that we played yeah it was in Philly right yeah with uh, Repulsion was on that bill mm-hmm. and uh, after seeing them play I was like I, I kind of dug back into their catalog again who's playing drums now is it Cole Jones I guess the I guy, yeah he used to be in Creighton I think uh, the um, guitar player not... from Creighton is in uh, is also yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. yeah I know that she's in the band too but yeah. um, uh, I just know that uh, the original drummer um I don't know his real name, but he went by Dave Grave. Um, Dave Grave. Dave Grave. That's awesome. Yeah, back when people still had names like that in other yeah. bands, he still had the punk rock name. But, uh, but yeah, I think he's like just out. He's like not doing anything like that anymore. Uh, uh, he just kind of went his own way. Huh. Uh, that was a fun show, man. You know. Well, that's a band where you might apply the the hardcore punk principle that we were talking about. Repulsion. Yeah, as far as like you know, reuniting, because they haven't done anything new. They haven't done anything at all, no. No, no. I haven't seen them uh, in the current incarnation. Uh, yeah, but you know what, though? It was like a special thing. I don't know, man. Like, just, um, I, 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 it's probably hypocritical for me to give them a pass, but I do. I think that, well, I actually think that like punk and metal are different in some way. I, uh, I, that, I, I was going to say that, yeah. but... But early like grind... Metal Age is in a way that punk does not. No, man. It, it, it kind of doesn't, really. Yeah. The only the only 
hardcore punk band that I, I really legitimately give a pass to is when Rorschach reunion. Re- 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 okay, yeah. Well, that was I saw that at MDF. Um, yeah, they, they played it, and that was awesome. But also, those guys have been doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, morally, yeah, pretty much. You know, most of them have. So yeah, most of the guys. I mean, there was Kissing Goodbye, but that was like like twenty years ago. They also reunited not too long ago. Yeah, but it wasn't with. It was half. It was only half the band. Like, yeah, it wasn't no with Huckins the guys. Normally, right, like you can't have the band with a Huckins and Gorman. Yeah, I kind of. I actually, I'm a huge Kiss of Goodbye fan. Me too. I, I, one of my favorite bands. I did not go to that show for that reason, honestly. I, I didn't even think about going to the yeah. show. I, I didn't mean, even. I didn't even consider it. Yeah, I. I mean, I think Jim Winters played guitar for them. Who's okay, a, who's That'd an, be good. But yeah. he's he an excellent player. Yeah, and and someone who was a friend of mine too. Yeah. But um, I had no interest in going, man. And, yeah. You know. I feel like it's, I mean, that could have been, I, I think that, that has the potential to have been good because, I mean, the, it's pretty, like, metaled out music, right? Like, it's not, you're, you're not getting fucking, like, TSOL or whatever, you know? Like, it's it's more, like, choppy and technical than that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And less contingent on that, like, teenager kind of energy. Yeah, um, they, they were, like, a mature, a little bit more yeah. mature than, Yeah, like, they were, I mean, they were in their mid to late 20s when they made that material. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But, but I feel like the lineup for that band was just so singular that you can't, it's, you know, like, no matter how good the replacement is, like, there's something... There's something really specific about the playing on those records, like that. Just well, Keith Hawkins, you know? he's a one of a kind guitar player. Yeah, he's. I mean, I mean we we covered um, uh, Depress and trying to figure out like timing and his, you know, text techniques on those on yeah. records. Like his parts are. It's just fucking. We didn't we didn't play it the way they play it because <laughs> it's like, well, they. It's impossible yeah. to fucking play it the way they do. Imagine this one, you know. Yeah, like the drums and everything. Everything. It's like they. It's like they took like a drum set and threw it down the stairs, like well, in one part. Really, that record especially. That's like the really imposing part of it. To me. Yeah, it's totally, like, man. There are lots of parts where, like, you know, I'm not a drummer, but I used to play drums, and usually when I listen to like you know anything in the rock realm, I can like kind of figure out what's going on and like yeah. imagining like what the guy's doing with his limbs in order to make that sound, but. Oh, there are a lot of parts on Kissing Goodbye recordings where I just like can't figure out the placement. I just can't really even follow it. And it's not like because it's so fast or like, you know, technical or whatever. It's just fucking weird. Yeah, it's know? like Dale Crowe, Dale Crover plays. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a lot like that. Yeah. Um, he just has a really singular like sense of groove and, you know, and he like pursued it in ways that are counterintuitive, I think, to most drummers. So, um, so, you know, People went to that and they liked it. Then I guess I fucked up. But you know, uh, it was good, good, good times, man. Yeah, there was that that MDF weekend. They played uh, MDF. They played the Poisson Rouge, and they also played oh, a weird place for that band to play. Yeah, you know? and they also played a, a late night show at the Acheron. That's right. I heard. And I went that. to that one. Okay, that, yeah, that, was, that, that would be, that would be sick. Yeah. That same day, I um, that was I saw. I went down to see Godflesh and Napalm on Friday. Right. I drove back on Saturday, and then I, I went to the show at uh, the Acheron. Did I think Rorschach played the Charleston at one point? Yes, they did. Right? Yeah, and and that was on the first that time was the they first got together. Time I saw them. Yeah, yeah, and that one was insane. Oh yeah, I thought I was going to die of heat exhaustion. Sure, in that show, I could see that. Um, yeah, the the Charleston basement. There's lots of like. I guess they're, they're, a lot of them are gone now, but there used to be a lot of like overheated basement venues, you know, like... I never never got down with the Charleston, man. 
It's not, it was not good. No. I mean, like, it was, like, one of those, like, good because it's bad kind of venues, you know, like... But this is the theory of the Charleston, right? It's, like, like many things in New York, it's a simulation of something else. It's, like, you know, you play tons of basement shows, sure. so, you know, I played, you know... You know, thousands probably in <laughs> fucking basements. But it's like, this is the basement of a bar, right? But it's not really like, like it's kind of a punk venue, but it's also kind of not really. Nah, it's like, man. it's like a bullshit half assed. Like, I don't know how much it costs to go to the shows. Weren't the shows like expensive too? Um, they were, the ones I went to were mostly pretty cheap. Okay. I mean, it was, it was like, not like an actual DIY house venue. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it wasn't five bucks. It's not like going. Twelve. It's not like going to the Pirates Cove in Allentown and seeing right. a show. Yeah, I mean, like and that's yeah. the things. Like I, like, when I would start going to shows, even up through, even until I moved here, um, it was in like the like West Philly, right? Where, yeah. Like, it's cheap and yeah. lawless, you know. Yeah. What was uh, the West Philly uh, basement? Well, there was that one, that one that everyone played at. I can't remember the name of it though. You're not thinking Danger Danger. Uh, they change all the time. Yeah, it's there like was one. Yeah, it's not important. Yeah. But, but yeah, but yeah, plaques. There was like a lot of those places. Yeah. You know? it, it wasn't that, uh-huh. but it was presented to you like it was that thing, you know, kind of. And that's why I always took exception to that place. And also, like, it just sucked playing there. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that it's at fucking Bedford North Seventh. Like, yeah. Like the ground zero of like bullshit. Well, and, and, but the thing is, though, at the time that that place existed, it was on the tail end. It, it's not as bullshit as it is now. No, 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 that's yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, when we when we saw, we were playing Charleston shows, and I was going to see shows there, it was even compared to what it is now. Only a few years later, yeah, like it's completely different down yeah. there. Like, now, now it's like being at the South Street Seaport in Manhattan. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're you're in Manhattan now. Essentially, like, you yeah, are. Like, yeah. I hear like as much French on the street as I do yeah. English. You know, like tourists go there. Yeah, like, it's a destination it's fucking, for people. It's, it's Epcot, Brooklyn, dude. Yeah, like it's not. But that era, though, it was still, you know, Williamsburg and Bedford, Bedford Avenue was still like a little scummy. You know, it was definitely way past, like, the Sweetwater days and, like, right. when North Six was still a venue. And even then, it was, like, a little annoying, but it was, wasn't what it is now or that Charleston era. Right, yeah. I, I was I was in the Charleston, weirdly, um, which is still open, right? Like, there's, yeah. no, there's no venue there anymore. No. But, um, but the bar is still there. Um, uh, I, was, I was in there uh, a couple weeks ago. I was killing time before going to see uh, Lowe. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. you know, um, who were playing at uh, um, uh, well, uh, the, the thing that's on North Sticks. I can't remember how it's called. Williamsburg. Williamsburg Music Hall. Yeah. yeah. Brain fart. Um, anyway, um, and it was just it was just a bizarre experience to go in there now because it still has like the you know, it's like punk rock kind of look, stickers everywhere, like shitty lights, everything's broken, Rah! you know, like, yeah, you're really into shit now, but then like, the people who are in there are like, they're just people in suits, yeah. you know, like, yeah. it's like everyone's like home from, like everyone got off their fucking like, you know, tech startup job or their job on, you know, in, on, you know, as a day trader on, you know, Wall Street and just cruised over and like, and now they're hanging out at the punk rock bar, you know, like, yeah. uh, it's, it's completely bizarre experience you know like and I've only been back in New York for five years uh-huh. even in that period you know like this neighborhood man oh like, dude tell me point. about it yeah, yeah I mean like I lived down Manhattan Avenue uh, by the park um, until last year right uh-huh. 
And the block that I was on went from having like two bars and a shitty Chinese restaurant to having like six bars, one yeah. of which is like an internationally renowned bar now. Yep. Like four fucking restaurants. There's a crepe restaurant there. Like it's it's been a complete 180, you know? Like, and that's only in a couple years, you know? Like, there's a place. Do you remember Papacitos? The, of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I lament the, the uh, departure of that place yeah, in the yeah. neighborhood. There's a place called Esme. Uh, that's in the in the place now, and, I, and just I've been, been, been there a handful of times, dude. If you're gonna have, uh, if you're gonna go in there and get some hamburgers, like two hamburgers, you know, you and a friend, you better not leave the fucking house with less than fifty dollars. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And the Palacios was great for that. That was yeah, the dude. Get the gut bomb burrito. Yeah, dude, totally. You know, and, and it was like. It was like, it, you know, the food was all right. You know, it wasn't the best. It, was it wasn't it, great. It, it was good. It was, it was, I, I liked the, the food they had there. They had like good music playing in there usually. They had like the, the, the people that worked there were pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that was one of the things that I actually liked about it. it yeah, it was like, it's like a, yeah, it was like the typical, like every city has like, the fucking mission style burrito place yeah. with like the bands go to yeah this is the somewhat shady alternative Mexican place yeah it's like a Mexican place with like no Mexicans working right there, really. pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean and that that was Papacitos was that for Brooklyn you know what I mean for, for Greenpoint yeah, right. Right, you know and uh, now it's like this weird spot with like people like with dress shirts go to now and yeah. it's with families it's weird yeah well that's like I mean I guess something that you know I I find myself like lamenting this kind of thing all the time right yeah but, but on the other hand you know that just is the nature of this city yeah you know, like every neighborhood in New York City is just always in flux you know? yeah like, just, it's unrelenting you know like dude I, I moved to Ridgewood right you know a little further out, you know, um, if you're listening, you don't know any of the fucking geography around here. Ridgewood is like out in Queens. It's, you know, uh, 40 minutes from Manhattan, I guess, by train. Uh, and which is like far by the standards of the city. Um, and even in the year that I've been in Ridgewood, like, cause that's like the next cool place. Yeah. Know, yeah. People know, are starting to move as, out there. As, you know, deemed by the New York Times and various other publications. That's where it's the same thing's happening there, you know, like. And just gradually, like, that shell just always expands further and further outward. Um, and on one hand, it's, like, really frustrating to deal with if you're an artist who wants to live here. And, yeah. you know, you're on, like, a shitty limited artist income, which I am. Yeah. I'm sure you are, too. And also, um, like, you don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of fucking squares. You yeah, know what I mean? Like that's some... the thing. It's like, yeah. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, I don't... The fancy restaurants, fine. I don't care about that. Yeah. Like, I like nice food once in a while. Me, too. I can't usually afford it, but I like it. Um... It's the douchebags that make it, you know, troublesome. You know, it's like the the people who make you feel feel unwelcome. The instant you step outside your door. Yeah. You know? Meanwhile, you've been living in this neighbor. I've been living in this neighbor for a decade. You know yeah. what I mean? And sure, it's been like in that. Like, I mean, cause I was here for four years. Yeah. Like, and that was like you know night and day. You're a little further out of the way than I am. But like at this point, man, you got to be feeling it around here. So. Yeah. There's another restaurant that I, that I hate. It's called Habitat. It's across the street from Habitat, here. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that place. <laughs> I'm gonna say that. Point it Fuck out Habitat. Fuck Habitat. And I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> because that's a they charge you for fucking mayonnaise, dude. <sighs> like they're charging you for condiments. You're now. charging. That is bullshit. That is fucking bullshit. Actually, there's a there's a bar in my neighborhood. I went there one time. I got a pretzel. They charge me for mustard. I'm like, time. Pretzel. 
I'm like, the first time I went in there. Unacceptable, yeah. in my opinion. Like, I'm like, oh, look, oh, great. They have you know, grass-fed burger. Oh, this is just wonderful, you know? And I'm like, get a little mayo. The guy's like, okay, I saw it on the bill. I'm like, yo, you charged me for the mayo. And he's like, that's that's extra. And I looked at the guy, and I go, times must be tough, man. <laughs> if you're charging me for fucking mayonnaise, times has got to be tough. That's, it probably are, man. I mean, imagine the rental plane paying to be in that spot. That's right. another, like, $16 hamburger. If you're yeah. going to go and get a burger there, it's like 16 bucks. That's, that's just the burgers here. Why? How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> How the hell did, it, did a hamburger become, like, a $20 fucking meal, man? Um, I cannot answer that question. It's I don't know. Fucking like, oil? The, you know? the question, <laughs> I, mean, I, I can, like, come up with explanations for it. It's like, oh, well, the rent, and, like, you have to pay to get things here. But the question that really rises to my mind whenever I think about this is, why do I live here? Oh, I know, dude. What the fuck am I doing, you know? I, like, I, th- I ask myself that question every morning. Oh, man, dude. Like, I don't even have to, like, I work at home. I don't even have to live in my house. And yeah. I'm still just like, what am I doing here? Why am I paying more than half my income for rent? You know, like, it's rough, you know? Like, it's, if, especially if you want to have a life outside of making money. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, because I'm, you know, I, I'm sure, like, I mean, especially, like, dude, when you moved here, it was probably actually feasible to do that still, you know? Um, it, it was expensive and not like it is now. Right, yeah. And yeah. so, and I, you know, I, like, kind of, like, came here halfway through that time. And, you know, I've been able to do it, but... Um, you know, like for all of the, as, as whiny as it seems to me when people like David Byrne, like complain about how like it's impossible being an artist in New York City, I'm like, shut the fuck up, David Byrne. What would you know about that? You're a bazillionaire, right? Yeah. But he's so right. You know, it actually is in becoming borderline impossible to do that. You know, like, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he is right about that. It just it's just sort of like a little um, condescending that a right. guy like him is saying. Yeah, coming from him, or yeah. and there's lots of other people. Like, I think Patty Smith's like piped up to the same effect, and they're like, "Well, it's kind of cool that they're saying it because they have some weight to the things that they say." Right. Well, they know? actually like have a connection to this place. Yeah. You know? But um, still, like, it's as hesitant as I am to like lend that any credence, just because like whenever. Whenever someone who's wealthy like pops off about like how hard it is to be poor in New York City, and was like, mm, you don't know. Like, you might be right, but you don't know. But they are, and in this case, I think actually, like, there is something to that. Like, it's getting to the point where, but you know, dude, it's not even like like the salaries. Like, y- you you make a good salary here, and you're still poor. That's yeah, the yeah, thing about right. it. Well, this is this is like one of the crazy phenomenon phenomena of our of our moment in history right now. Right? Yeah. It's like um, uh, in the United States, we have. Like corporate profit growth, we have um, you know the economy is expanding at like a reasonable rate now. Like we're in theory like back from the great you know, yeah the great recession recession that we had a few but years wa- ago. But wages aren't growing. Nope. And really, no one knows why. Uh, they, I mean, I think well, people you know economists often say they don't know why. Uh, I think there's some explanations that present themselves. Uh, it seems to me that the rules have been tweaked such that. Um, wealth is allocated upwards more smoothly and that's like the main reason pretty much right like it's all going somewhere just not to most people yeah like um and that's not I don't think that's like that's not a novel insight by me or anything like that but yeah uh, we we should overthrow the government then yeah yeah I'm down man yeah like I have I got got a couple knives you know yeah just just, just throw them at a cop you know it's like you know, like, you know, like, uh, what they say, you know, you want to throw underhand usually, you know, like, you get a better rotation, so it's more likely to go into the guy, you know, like, try it out. Cops all the time. Yeah. 
So, dude, why not? Is the, the album what? What's the deal with you? Got these other small, short form things coming out. Yeah. You're saying? Um, so, so what, did we talk about one? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, so there's that thing. The other thing I actually had in mind is actually not. So a couple other things going on with us that I should get on before we like plan how to like you know kill some police officers. Yeah. Before kind of um, uh, the FBI kicks our door in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, takes yeah, us yeah, away. I'm, I'm sure special forces are on their way right now. <laughs> um, uh, but so the other thing that's going on with us right now is um, we are uh, sort of in mid shift for a lineup change. Um, oh. So um, so uh, we have three of the four founding mem- members still left uh, originally. Um, uh, and that would be me and uh, Dylan, who's our guitarist, and Alex, who's our drummer. Um, and we are um, kind of phasing out Alex right now. Um, he is, as you know, um, he's a session musician. Yeah. Um, he has like a ton of projects, pretty much. And um, one of the things that became clear in the past like year and a half since like we were on relapse for a while, we started touring more actively. Is that like it's just like very difficult to schedule with him uh, because of all the stuff that he's doing outside yeah. of the band. Um, and Puron's the kind of band that just like sort of demands demands you to focus on it. Like there's room to plan other projects and be in the band, but like it has to be your main thing, right? Yeah, like, totally. Uh, I'm sure the Tubes is basically the same way, you know? Like, yeah, you more or less, like, yeah. Yeah, like you can play, you can do other stuff, but like that's, you know, it's a touring band. You have to be there for the tours, right? Um, so over that period, we toured a couple times and most of the touring we did actually was with Phil and Drummers because, oh, uh, really? okay. because Alex couldn't commit to the touring. Um, we toured mostly with um, Keith Abrami, who plays an artificial brain. Um, okay. Uh, we did a long tour with them last fall, and he just did double duty the entire wow. time. Wow, yeah, on drums. Like, yeah, on drums for Playing like... fast fucking, fucking music. Brutal technical death metal, right? Damn. Just like, just... Yeah, he was just a monster, dude. Like, he was incredible. Like, he's a... Uh, He's a he's a personal trainer by trade. Oh, okay, and, like, so he's, he's got like, the conditioning. Yeah, yeah, so he got conditioning. So, so it was, it was fucking hilarious. You'd watch him like sit there and like play drums and like shred through your little brain set, which is like blasting at two fifty the entire set, right? Just like you know, like intense physical work. He would get up, walk off the stage, get a beer, walk back to his drum throne, and sit there and fuck around on Tinder while we set up. Like, <laughs> Tinder. Yeah, he would just like, go straight to Tinder. You see him swiping, like swiping right, swiping right, like trying to get it going on after the show. But uh, um, but yeah, he was he was an awesome fucking match for us. He crushed the material. He went to Europe with us too. Cool. Um, uh, and basically, like, um, so we were in a uh, we were a situation where you know we were playing with Alex, we were writing material with him, but he couldn't really tour with us. That wasn't really tenable for us. Um, so, um, so recently, uh, what's been happening is um, the replacement that we're bringing in, who to be our new full time drummer, um, is a friend of mine who um, I've known for a very long time uh, since uh, since we were both like high school age, pretty much. Um, and he has been in the military for the past 11 years. Um, we kept in touch the whole time. Um, we had a project that we started in high school. It was a kind of file trading style project. You know, we're, it's like a death metal band where we would like send each other like riffs and stuff. And like he did like uh, drums and guitars, and I did guitar and vocals. And you know, that kind of like it was sort of like quasi active for between like 2005 and 2008 or nine. And then you know. I got involved with Piran and he got more involved like basically like doing stuff with the military. He was yeah. a navy, he was a okay. aviator. Oh. Um started getting like deployed more and sure. so like so it all kind of like that kind of like fell by the wayside for a few years. Um 
And then he pretty much revived the project in 2013. He just started writing songs. He started sitting with these like, finished songs, more or less, and was like, do you want to do a new... The band's called Sepius. Uh, he's like, do you want to do a new Sepius record? And I was like, all right, sure. You know, like, uh, um, I actually feel like I'm like a competent musician now. You know, I know how to like sing and stuff. Whereas when I was in high school, I was just, you know... Yeah, just hacking away. Yeah, like, ah, you know, yeah. high school style. It's like yelling pretty much, right? Uh, so... Um, so we actually f- just finished that record um, uh, last week. We just okay. mastered. Uh, we got Alan Dishes to master. Yes, um, yeah. Alan's the man. Yeah, yeah. We, t- we talked about you guys a little bit. Um, cool. Yeah, he was really great. Fun, great guy. Real fun to work with. Yeah. yeah, hilarious dude. Full stories. Very patient. Yep. Like really receptive to our input. You know, um, every record, almost every record I ever played on has been mastered. Yeah, 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 with maybe two exceptions. Yeah, and like the, the final product sounds fucking sick. Right? Yeah. So. Um, so that is going to come out sometime uh, next year. Uh, awesome. We need to sort out the release plans for it. But, um, but so, yeah, so he's also joining Puron now because he's, he's out of the military. Nice. So, um, uh, and he is, like, very gung-ho about doing the band. Like, he's been wanting to do a touring band for, like, 11 years, you know. Excellent. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so things are, so we're going to record the, the split that we're talking about doing with Sulaco with Alex. Cool. Uh, we wrote the material for it with him, so... So his last hurrah will be coming up sometime in the next week or two when we track it. Uh, and then the other thing is this this Sepius record that's going to come out next cool. week as well. So right on. Do you have uh, a label for that? Or um, we I haven't like started like shopping it around to people yet. Uh-huh. Uh, honestly, like we were I, we've been kind of like Pierron's been in kind of in like record release you know slash tour mode for like uh, basically two years straight now mm-hmm. and. Um, I just wanted a little like breather from that. We'll exchange sure. this record. So, um, but now that it's done and like the the artwork's almost done too, so we're going to be uh, sorting that out. Pretty soon. Did you um? Do you guys pay for the recordings and everything? Like, um, is that all out of your own on your own dime? Well, uh, so for the Sepius record, we actually recorded it ourselves. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, like Steve also tracked the whole thing. Wow. As well as uh, writing. Well, the, the reason why I bring that up is like um, you, you might as well want to think about this uh, this whole keeping the digital and licensing the physical aspect that we were talking yeah, about earlier. that seems like it's probably going to be the like the thing to do going yeah. forward I mean it really depends on like because our, our our whole label situation is fluid right like yeah. we um, we had a good experience putting out the EP with Handshake um uh, but we're not like under contract with them, so mm-hmm. we so you do whatever you want, really. So yeah, so we like we, like I need to like go and like if we put another record with them, which like it's possible, it's not sure. like, set in stone yet. Um, uh, there's still like a negotiation side of things to be like to be done. Um, the Sepius record itself in the air uh, for the Puron the EP that we do with Handshake, like the CD, uh, something got is just licensed to them, right? Like yeah. not so. Um, uh, so I'm, f- I've been sort of in the back of my head thinking about how to handle that stuff best. You know, um, uh, I haven't. It just hasn't like gotten to the point where I need to make like th- like thorough decisions on it yet. Yeah, um, there's something to consider but, though. Yeah, I think it's a good idea, man. Uh, uh, I think generally speaking, um, there's a, a lot of people these days whose attitude is like, yeah, you know, like. You don't need a label. Like, you can do anything. No, you do need does. a label. But, man. like, I think you do need yeah. a label. There's lots of things that labels do that I don't want to do. Right? Yeah, like, like promotion and yeah, fucking... Yeah, all the PR stuff, first of all. Like, promoting your own band. Like, I've done it. Fucking sucks. Don't want to do it again. Uh, uh, on top of that, like, just, like, the logistical side of things. Like, making sure things get pressed and yeah, shipped and all that stuff. No. Like, 
fucking nightmare, you know? I mean, if, if you were like Glenn Danzig or something like that, and you can hire people to do all that stuff, yeah, like, then yeah, sure. Yeah, but if, if you can if you can found your own record label to yeah. handle to handle your records, then by all means, you will make more profit. You should do it that way, yeah. right? Or or if you're like some young buck up there who's like is unlimited, you know, this is I want to do this this way. Yeah. By all means, the, sure. the opportunity's there to you do know, it now. If you had the energy and the yeah. free time and the inclination to do it, then, like, yeah, you're going to do better for yourself if you do a good job. But, first of all, you may not have the energy. Uh, you may not have the free time. I don't have the free time to do that kind of thing now. I right? definitely like, don't. I've got, you know, you know, multiple jobs, multiple bands, like, a life outside of all that stuff. I can't do that shit. Um but um, but if you can, then great. Uh, the thing is that, like, also, even if you have the energy and the free time, you might not know what the fuck you're doing. That's the other thing I was going to bring up, <laughs> is that you're probably not good at that. Yeah, that's the thing, is you, you yeah. probably suck. You and, probably have no fucking clue. And you have no experience to fall back on either, which, I mean, dude, honestly, it's like, you know, I've been doing this a fair amount of time. Right. And we just started working with Oblique Management, and uh, I feel like I don't fucking know anything when I talk to these motherfuckers. <laughs> it's like... I um, I I talk about the the business shit, and I fucking don't know a goddamn thing, dude. And I've been doing this for most of my life. It was it was a rude awakening to me when I when we signed a relapse and we started talk, I you know I was talking to them about stuff. Yeah. And and like I I knew all the concepts, right? There was nothing that was new to me in the concepts, but the terminology for stuff. There was just words. I was like, I can't believe that there's a word for this that I didn't know it. Right? Like uh, I remember at one point we were talking about. Um, it's like the press for the European tour. And yeah. Someone, was, someone asked me for all of the assets for it. And I was like, the assets? You mean like our like our gear? What are you talking about? And he was like, no, no, no. I just like, you know, like the, the tour poster and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, well, like, I, know, I know what that means, but like, there's a word for this and I don't know what it is and I'm dedicating my life to doing this band thing and I don't know I don't know the fucking vocabulary. It's pathetic. Like, totally, <laughs> man. like a loser, you know? Like, um, I think you don't really. I mean, in order to be a good functional touring band, you don't need. To no, know you don't. Most of that stuff. And that's right? the other side of this thing about you know, if you want to be like Greg Ginn and start a label and have a couple people that work with you while, that can do the shit while you're out promoting the record on the road, that's the only way you can really do it. Like you got to make it your fucking mission to do this thing, right? You know, and. Uh, Unless you're willing to do that, you kind of do still need a record label to help promote things and get and just have someone who knows what the fuck they're doing, man, who can advise you on certain stuff. Right. You know, and a PR, PR, you know, like you got to have a guy who has uh, a database of people to send your shit yeah, to. I mean, just like, the, I'm going to be all right, I'm going to do the PR myself. I don't fucking know anyone. Right. I don't know anybody to send it. If I know you. That's yeah. it. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you know like, and, you know, I think that like, I'm comparatively speaking, relative to most like active musicians, I probably know a lot more press people, right? Yeah, because you've done that work. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and even me, like, dude, compared to the people who actually are like professional PR people in metal, oh yeah, the size of my like my Rolodex or whatever, my contact list and my Gmail, you know, like it is pathetically small. Like it's tiny. Like you think about like you know like the, the go to professional like PR outlet for for metal bands is EarSplit, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They are they have to have thousands of. Do they they work they worked your you they, guys they, right? They've, they've worked a couple of PR outlets yeah. before, and you know like and the the just the sheer it, it doesn't I could put I could dedicate my next month into building the perfect press campaign 
you're the most beautiful email blast, like, you know, like all of like the, you know, the bells and whistles that you might want, ideas for like features, they have to pitch to magazines, blah, blah, blah. And still, like, I would, like, I would be able to tell a twentieth as many people. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, yeah. So you can do a DIY press campaign. You will save a lot of money, you know, like, you might uh, discuss your band in terms that you think are more appropriate or whatever, but but there's just no replacement for that, like, that kind of database of knowledge. And, yeah. Like, you know, understanding, like, what the marketplace looks like and how to, like, address people and even just, like, how to contact them, like, what their email addresses are. Yeah, shit. or how to, fly. Like, I don't know how to spin shit. Like, yeah. I you mean, know, like, I don't know how to pitch anything to anyone. I'm like, I have a record. You want to fucking check yeah, it out? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like, I, dude, honestly, like, it's, that's even... Like, I actually, because I've done that work, I do, like, know how yeah. to, like, translate, like, my understanding of my own material into, like, th- those words, and it makes me feel sick. Sure. I can't, I despise doing it. Like, I've written PR copy for Piron before, and it's just a revolting thing to do to your own music, you know? Like, it's, and that alone is for me a reason that I don't want to do my own PR yeah. because I don't want to have to like go through that like gutturing process of like boiling this thing that you poured so much of yourself into into down into like a, a fucking quip that yeah. you can use to get a blogger to click on a download like <laughs> and also it's like but this, this is the other the beauty of this situation though too is if you are someone who wants to like filled with ambition who wants to make create their own fucking environment that to showcase their own material and maybe other material by people that you're close with now is the time to do it because oh, yeah. you can do all this shit oh yeah no, like, by, by all means like, yeah I don't want to discourage anyone out sure, there who no, wants to totally. fucking yeah, take over like, the world you know honestly like this is mostly a reflection uh, like my comments on this are a reflection of like me and my hangups and like my yeah. own like laziness slash like yeah. incredibly busy schedule right you know like I, I think you're right you know it's it, it's more possible to just start from nothing and dive into this world and be successful now than it's ever been, right? Yeah, like, totally. Like, it, it used to be unthinkable that you could put out your own record, right? Like, uh, even relatively recently, even in the 90s, it was fucking hard as hell to do. Yeah. You know, like... It, it was... It, you you needed to have more determination to do it back then. Right. Well, not even you just know. determination, but also just like... And funds. Yeah, capital. <laughs> yeah, you need, like, you need capital. In order to press a record, yeah. like get into the studio, like you couldn't make a record on a fucking laptop. Because I, I, I did put out a 7-inch in the, in the 90s and I yeah, fucking was- had no way of even getting any... I had sent it out to review a couple, you know, zines or whatever. Yeah. But, I, you know, I still... I probably still have those fucking records somewhere because yeah, dude. I only sold, like, a handful yeah, of them. Yeah, no, I mean, like, dude, uh, for the set, the band Sepidus that we that I was talking about earlier, the side project that we're, we're putting the new record on next year, the first one we made, we finished it in 2006, um, and that was at a time when you could, like, we just sent it to a pressing plant and, like, mm-hmm. got them to press 100 copies of it. Yeah. And we're like, that was, like... And that was the end of our knowledge of how to release yeah, a record. Yeah, I didn't know how to do anything else. Nope. We sent, like, probably 15 or 20 physical copies to magazines and shit to get them reviewed. We got, like, three record reviews. 
and we didn't sell a single other record. That was it. <laughs> like, I still have copies of the first fucking Sepulchus album in my house. Like, wow. it's like there's still like three or four of them sitting in my CD shelf. You know. Well, like, hopefully, when you do this th- this other thing, you'll be able to get rid of yeah, those. Yeah, I mean, man. like I'm gonna get rid of them by throwing them at people. Nah. You know, it's like, hey, you want a CD? You know, <laughs> wing it at somebody. Like, uh, and and that was that was recently. That was only ten years ago. You know. Like, yeah. Um, even and part of that, the part of the reason that was so shitty is because we were just high school kids. We didn't know, didn't know what yeah. we were doing, but like. You know, uh, even in that period, it's become immeasurably easier. You can just fucking throw something on Bandcamp now. You know, like and that's uh, a viable thing for people. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like one of the one of the bands that I am like most excited about right now is there's a, a weird melodic death metal band from from the UK called Sludge. Uh, it's S L U G D G E. Um, and it's like they have this wacky like space slug like lyrical theme and thus the bizarre name, but. Um, they are three albums into the career. They've never played a show. Um, they have never worked at a record label. All they do is they just release their, sh- they just put their shit on Bandcamp. There's no physical pressing or anything like that. And they've established like a sizable following doing this. Like people care about them. Like they, like the last time I looked at the, they put out a new record like a, two or three weeks ago. Um, you know how on Bandcamp now it shows the collections that it's in. On yeah. Part of the page. There must have been 150 people who bought, like, just like with the, with the visible collections who bought it, which is like a, a, a small fraction of the actual proportion of people who pay for it. Because wow. Not everyone has those, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, that thing will probably sell, and they sell it for, they do it for pay what you want, right? So, like, you know, you know, 15 year olds who have like two bucks to rub together can pay one buck for it and get the record, you know? Like, and they'll probably sell 1,500, 2,000 downloads that way. Um, no PR, no nothing, just grassroots enthusiasm. Yeah, probably just like campaign. social social media, probably. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, just like you know, like uh, there's here and there. There's like writers who cover it. I mean, like I've written about it because I like them. Yeah. Like there's there's no like there's no fucking glossy campaign. You know, they're not getting they're not getting a cover story and pitchfork. You know, none of that shit. You know, like it's just it, there really is like as much as I you know am inclined to complain about this and that with modernity and like you know how you know much harder it is to make money as a band and blah 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 and all of like the usual whining you hear from people in bands these days there really is an incredible opportunity to get your stuff out there that did not exist before um, and it's nice to see people taking advantage of it like that you know like it's nice to be reminded that like something good does come out of it sometimes so. yeah I mean I think things are changing and evolving and I think it's cool that all this stuff exists you know and as much as social media can be like a bummer and people take it way too seriously you know that's true but it is, I mean, my, the coffee company, like Savage Gold, like it exists through social media, really. Yeah. I mean, I launched the whole thing just on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know, I don't have any real PR. It's um, still and, functioning, right? Well, it's, it's doing well, yeah, man. It's doing well, right? Yeah, like, you know, and it's like I'm selling tons of shit. That's got, fucking awesome. You know, and, um, but it's like, that's what I mean. I don't have any fuck. It's me. I don't have any employees or yet, right. hopefully. You know, I'd like to, there's plans of, you know, moving things, stepping up things. You know, I can't really talk about too much of that, but. Secret, huh? Yeah, well, I don't want to talk about it until it's actually realized, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. there's like some activity going on. But the, um, but you know, it's, uh, it, that exists. I wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Right. You know, I would have just had like a website somewhere that no one went to, mm-hmm. but because of like a network of people that I can reach out to and the same thing with this podcast, it's like, you know, I don't have, you don't read about this podcast anywhere. It's like, it's just really just 
through Twitter and, you know, and fucking Facebook and all this other stuff, really. You know? It's, yeah, and so this is like the... This is the paradox people always talk about with this stuff, right? Yeah. On one hand, like, all this communications technology has, like, this very isolating effect where, you know, people don't... People don't, like, you know... We always hear people say is like people don't you know people don't meet up the way they used to right uh, which you know seems like uh, it's at least partially true it's partially true know. yeah um, but on the other hand like there like some of the hype about like you know oh like social media social media is connecting people that actually is like there's something to that too there know? is like I think like most. Like, most, like, you know, large-scale phenomena like this, it's really easy to be like, it's great or it's terrible, but um, in most cases, it's usually some weird gray area mixed with too. Well, I mean, it's a tool just like anything else. Right, It's yeah, like yeah. if you, you know, if you are cognizant of what its limitations are and what its uses are, then you can health, in a healthy way, use it, incorporate it into what you're doing. Sure, yeah. I mean, like, you can use a hammer to build a house or yeah. break someone's fucking face, so... Totally, you know. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good metaphor for it. Yeah, so, um, I would think so. The hammer metaphor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I, 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 I mean your metaphor for it. Yeah, but, um, uh, just in the sense that like it's a tool, you know, like it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, but some motherfuckers are out there. Their whole life is part of, is is social media, and they're the same people who probably like. You know, everyone's got, like, a little vice of theirs, you know what I mean? Like, some people like to drink, some people like to, like, do crack or snort cocaine or whatever. Right. And some people love being on Facebook, you yeah, know? Yeah, well, there's, um, there's actually, like, a, like, a neuroscience literature to, like, really, like, substantiate that connection between, like, addictive drugs and, yeah. and, and social media because, um... When you get like a like a notification from a social media platform, like you know, you get the little like the icon and the Facebook thing, or someone tweets at you and you get a little thing for that. Yeah, like, um, your brain does a little like squirt of a neurotransmitter, right? The little dopamine boost that goes off. Right? Interesting. And, like, and it makes you feel good. It's a little satisfaction. Like, ooh, like someone likes my thing, right? Like, and that's basically the same mechanism that governs like highs from drugs, right? You get a little neurotransmitter, like, yep. you know, like. Um, so, uh, so there's, this is something that are still studying, of course, right? It's not like yeah. an established thing, but there's, there's a reason to think that, um, there actually is like something that's profoundly common between, uh, you know, uh, habitual drug use and like really serious, like social media addiction, right? Like, yeah, there are motherfuckers uh, out there that are very addicted to this shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I've, I mean, I, I'm. I'm not one of those people who would say I fuck around with Facebook a lot. And yeah, I work. Sure. I work at home. Yeah, so, you know, like I don't. So do I. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I fuck around. I fuck around at Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there, there's a point where it tips over to like becoming too much of a focus of, of your life. You know, like. Some people go full with it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. and then that's a problem. You I mean, know what I mean? want to talk about fucking music journalists, man? Like, some of those people, I'm not going to name any names, are uh, really, uh, I would say, um, non-constructively focused on that kind of conversation uh, uh, to the point where it seems to be more important to them than their actual writing is. You know, like... I find myself wondering in some cases... You have to tell me who this is after we're done. Yeah, right? well, I mean, I could name a few different names, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, there's some people who I'm like, how do you write anything? Because yeah. they tweet 50 times a day. Like, oh, yeah. how the fuck do you focus ever, you know? Like, and then you go to shows, and like you see you see that guy at the show, and he's just like... That I hate. And I was like, yo, there's a band. Like, look at the fucking band. Like, yeah. you know, like, I... 
I understand that, like, you know, in the day and age you live in, there's going to be people in the room who are looking at their Facebook, but, like, when you're in the front fucking row, put it away, man. One Just, of, like, put it away. One, like, one of the things, like, we played it, one of the last times we played at Vitus, um, Evan, our other guitar player, was telling me that some chick, like, plugged her phone into his fucking pedal board. Oh, my God. Like, into one of the fucking oh, outlets. no way, <laughs> dude. Oh, Jesus. Oof. I, I would have lost my shit if that I, happened. I, I wouldn't have let... I would have stopped. I, w- I would have made that cease. You know, yeah. like... Like, I, I have gotten to the point at this point where, like... You know, like, we're not some big rock star band. Like, I know that, like, there's going to be people who are not riveted by us sometimes we play. But when people are standing, like, in, like directly in front of me on the stage and they're fucking with their phones, I fuck with them now. Like... You should. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just start pressing buttons on the phone. Like, and... Usually they're like, ha, 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 and they look down again, and then I do it again, and that's when they usually get the message that they, they can't do that there, but... Uh, yeah, it's like, stand, don't stand in the front. Go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Dude, if you need to... If you're doing something important, if you, like, you know, your work is texting you at 11 o'clock on a Friday, I guess, um, then fine. Just, like, go to the bar, or at least go so you're not directly in my face. I think people... People who haven't really been on stage very much have this idea that... Um, if they are not on stage, then they are invisible to people who are on stage. Like, no one can see them. Yeah, you know? I can like, see they, that, yeah. They think that there's just, like, a shield, and they're, like, watching TV or something like that, where, like, the people on TV can't see you. But that's not the case. I no. Mean, especially, you know, if you're watching a band that has, like, a dedicated vocalist, you know, like... It's one thing if guys have to play guitar, you know, like, that's, you know, requires a lot of your attention. But even... In that case, they can usually see. Oh it. no, I, I'm I'm aware of everything that's going on right. in front of me. Yeah, for exactly. Sure, I mean, like, dude, especially like if you have a background in hardcore and like yeah. you're used to like having to like keep an eye on the crowd. Yeah, sometimes. dudes like throwing punches at you and shit. Right, like exactly. That. Then yeah. like you you look at the fucking audience, right? Yeah. But like, um, but especially when there's a guy who's just singing, like that dude can see you. His job is to look at the crowd, right? He's supposed to look at the crowd and connect with people and like get them into it, right? That's yep. like. That's what a front man is, right? Mm-hmm. So when people think that you can just like stand like dead center, front of the fucking stage, and just like go like that, and like you won't like annoy anyone or offend anybody, like it, it seems incomprehensible to me. But you know, I also spend a lot more time thinking about live music than most people do, I guess. So the um, the thing that happened to Evan really bothered me, and I don't really understand why. Like, it did because part of me wants to just be like, oh hey man, you know, there's. This fucking electrical resource here for you, but part of me is like, <laughs> like fuck you, man. Like, don't do that. That's rude. I think it's not. It's, it's it's probably a combination of things, right? So it's a combination of like, all right, so like cell phone fixation in the front row of a show. I think mainly that's it. That's that's dark, right? Yeah. But what's also dark is the fact that this person looked at the state. It's clearly a belonging of a band member. It was right? someone else's thing. Not a, but like, and also, yeah, and not just like... It wasn't a utility. Right, exactly. Not yeah. just like a, an outlet in the wall of the venue that they paid for access to. This is someone's personal belonging that's very expensive, right? You know, a pedal board... Yeah, is, they're not cheap. You know, there's yeah, all yeah. sorts of like, right. like stuff you got to put yeah, in. Yeah, who knows what fucking like, you know, like boutique pedals are on there or like, or like how much damage is taken over the years and like how delicate sure. it is or whatever. And just being like, hmm, that's someone else's belonging. Like someone who's like, probably traveled a long way to get here and, like, is probably, like, not looking to put up with any bullshit right now. Eh. And it's plugging it in anyway. Like, that is the thing that pushes that to the next level, right? Yeah. Like, it's the, the disregard for someone else's space and, like, you know, yeah. belongings, right? It, it didn't even happen to me and I'm all bent out of shape about it. Yeah, you know, I'm like, getting heated over here saying, <laughs> like, I was even there. <laughs> like, uh, 
I mean, that kind of thing, I don't know. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm... It's always, you know, incredibly flattering to me when people show up to see me perform, right? That's... And, you know, my band, like, all the work that we've all put in on it to have it, like, you know, be recognized in some way by someone who wants to come, like, witness us do our thing, that's... It's an incredible thing. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I, you know, I never thought I would get to the point where we'd actually have that reliably happening, and now we do, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think that, like, there's... Uh, because this technology is so new, um, a lot of the etiquette, people are still kind of figuring it out. They don't really know, yeah. like, what the right way to do it is, and... And, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, young drunk people in the crowds for these shows, so they just don't fucking think about it. So they do doofy shit, like, like plug into the guitar's pedal board for their fucking phone charger, you know? Like, yeah. um, and I feel like it's, at some point, like, there's gotta be, there will be more of, like, a social consensus on how to handle this stuff, but for now, I'm just going to be like, periodically infuriated when we play shows, I guess, you know? Like, yeah. Um, it's just, like, an, an inevitable part of the, part of the shift that, uh, produces all this stuff, so... All right, man. So you got this. Uh, just to recap everything here, you got you got your your column. Mm-hmm. On Stereogum, yeah, uh, the black market. Okay. Uh, once a month, usually at the end of the month, last day of the month. Right on. And then uh, you got a bunch of these like releases coming out. Yeah. yeah. So Puron. Uh, so for Puron, uh, we are recording some material for a split that should be um, announced sometime pretty soon. Uh, we haven't tracked it yet, but we're going to the next couple weeks. Uh, uh, where, where are you guys recording at? Um, so the game plan is um, Alex, uh, um, our uh, current and outgoing drummer, mm-hmm. uh, um, he has a recording studio. Oh. Um, so we're going to go Sweet. and we're going to track it there. And then it should be probably like the game plan. Um, and I think that this has been like already set up by our label and everything. Um is that uh, Colin Marston will mix and master it. Oh, cool. So, um, so it should sound nice and crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that should be coming out sometime next year. Um, and then uh, outside of Puron, um, there is uh, uh, my band with our um, incoming drummer, uh, Steve, um, called Sepidus. Um, another familiar face on that is actually, that was going to be um, just guitars, drums, and vocals originally, but we added um, Eric Malave, the Puron bassist, um, to play bass the last minute he kind of just like jumped in and was like let me do it and we were like alright you're an amazing bass player so yes you can you you, <laughs> you may contribute to our album uh, so he jumped on that and that should be coming out next year too so the Puron split and the Sepidus full length um, so those are both coming out and then yeah that's the uh, main game plan and then we're looking to write a uh, new full length record sometime pretty soon uh, it's the next uh, step and some couple probably a couple tours next year too right on yeah, that's killer so. I'm hyped. All right, man. Thanks for uh, for coming by tonight. Yeah, cheers, man. It was a pleasure. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Absolutely, dude.